This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy. Welcome to the show, Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you here, recording this on St. Patty's Day, Wednesday, March 17th. Uh, we're, I'm wearing green, guys. Are you wearing green? Uh, as an actual Irish person, uh, no. Yes, Murphy. <laughs> wow. I'm not. All right. Way, a, way to represent I, the brand there, Murphy. Uh, I mean, as, as someone who, like, doesn't like <laughs> beer and is not a Catholic... Uh, this 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 is what is Irish? Special. How'd you pull that trifecta? I know, right? <laughs> is Irish, not not Catholic, uh, and and doesn't like beer. I, I don't know. I'm I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a unicorn. Uh, this holiday isn't much for me, but you know, hey, go on with your bad self. See, I'm 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 part Irish. I'm I was raised Catholic, and I'm you know I'm okay with beer. I don't know. I, it's it you know I didn't drink any tonight, you know, but that's because I I haven't been drinking any beer in like two years. You know, so for you know, because I want to be you know healthy, and yet here here we are. Oh God! Um, oh Jesus! I know I'm going to catch some crap for that. What about you, Lopez? Uh, I am holier than thou, holier than thou, Jeff Sharon. I yeah, I I'm, I'm like Murph. Isn't St. Patrick's Day for us like every day? I mean, we don't need an excuse to drink, right, Murph? <laughs> That's no. Depends on what you're drinking. I mean, anyway. Uh, we've, we're 30 seconds in and we've already gone off the rails. Uh, we got a lot to talk about here. Uh, we're going to talk at first second. We're going to do all basketball. Uh, women's team is in the NCAA. They got in. It was a big moment. Highest seed ever for UCF 10 seed playing Northwestern in the first round. Uh, we're going to recap the men's team, uh, as they, uh, as they bowed out of the, uh, American athletic, uh, conference basketball tournament. Uh, despite I, what I would categorize as a valiant effort all the way around. Uh, we got baseball and softball in segment two. And uh, how about the volleyball team, which we'll talk about more in, uh, in our third segment today with just just rolling Cincinnati up in Cincinnati. They're, they're just a juggernaut right now. Um, but we begin with uh, UCF women's basketball. They are going back to the dance Second straight time that UCF has made the NCAA tournament. Of course, there was no NCAA tournament last year. UCF made it in 2019 as an at-large. They make it again this year as a 10 seed. That's the highest seed ever in school history. And the Knights are heading out to San Antonio. They will play uh, on Monday, March 20th, 4 p.m. tip uh, against the Northwestern Wildcats in the first round in San Antonio, Texas. Remember, the... Uh, women's tournament is uh, where the men's tournament is being um, played in and around Indianapolis. The women's tournament is being played in and around uh, San Antonio. Uh, they will be playing at the Bill Grehe Arena. So any uh, night fans who are out in San Antonio, that's where you can check them out. Um, the G- Bill Grehe Arena, by the way, is the home of St. Mary's University in San Antonio, uh, if anyone is interested in it. Um but uh, they get there despite losing to USF in the uh, conference championship game. It was a little touch and go there, Eric Lopez. We weren't sure if they would get in. There was some shenanigans with the Missouri Valley Conference that had us a little bit concerned there for a little bit. Um, but in the end, UCF, uh, according to Charlie Cream, was the last team in. 
and the Houston Cougars, who we were concerned might steal UCF's bid because they happen to exist within the state of Texas, was the last team out. Now, they're kind of a COVID alternative, just in case someone can't go, um, the, uh, the, the Cougars are. But nonetheless, the Knights are going to the tournament, and it was it really as close as we were thinking? Yeah, it was very close. I mean, uh, I think the interesting thing that plays out there with UCF a 10 seed, that's a little misleading because, well, first of all, the Women's Basketball Committee has no clue how to seed. So um, they're incompetent. <laughs> so let's just start with Here that. Here we go, Murph. And, and, and by the way, God, is it too hard to do a selection show and ask the committee person, hey, why did you put this team in? Why did you leave this team out instead of sucking up to the one seats? Good lord! Anyway, but didn't they oh, do that in the in the in the latter hour of the pro, like the first hour? No, was they the didn't. They didn't do that no, at all. Was kiss- no, they were too worried about Gino and his health and UConn and oh, this sport might. It's a wide open field. Yeah, right. Please stop. Gino can. Not- Gino can, can take the first make, two runs off and win by twenty five. But anyways. can we not make light of Gino Oriema's current health? Please? Yes. Can we let's can, can we avoid fine. that, please? No, he's good. He says he's good. He's shocked. He doesn't know where he got it. You know. My oh. point is, he's good. If he's <laughs> hopefully he's good, and that's the good news. He's fine. They don't Trying need him in the first canceled. two rounds. Hell, they don't need him until the final four. I would argue. Okay. How about we worry about? Because I do feel bad for Houston. Because they never got, they didn't get an explanation on the TV show. You had to go to the post uh, production, like uh, they had like a teleconference. And of course, the committee person does, it gives a non answer. Well, they're really good. They had some good wins, but you know, not enough. What I'll tell you why they didn't in? get in. It was because they lost three times to UCF. That's why they lost. If it was, if the choice was between UCF and Houston, UCF won. Well, but I think the issue I would have with that is why should there be a choice to begin with? Like, why couldn't the league get three teams in? And you wonder if, to your point, what would have happened if Houston would have knocked off UCF in the semis? Would they have flipped right. them? They probably would have. Um, but beyond all that buffoonery nonsense from the women's committee, which is an embarrassment and should be in shame of themselves, uh, for UCF, they were one of the last four in. Uh, but I think they did more than enough they should have been in. And I do think the 10 seed is probably balances itself out. Uh, even though for whatever reason the committee is seeding now automatic teams at the 11. But they, they got in. And the important thing, that's huge. Considering all that's gone on this year, you lose arguably the greatest player in program history, at least in the D, you know definitely in the D1 era maybe, in, in KK Wright. People question how good you would be this year and things like that. And to get an NCAA tournament bid about is huge. And uh, it's a incredible credit for them. Uh, I think Coach Abe is the greatest coach, women's basketball coach in program history now. I think that is cemented. Um, and I think I think they will we'll get into it, but they have a pretty favorable opening round matchup. Now, the second round, we, we don't need to talk about that. that could be, <laughs> that's going to be rough. But remember, this program has never won a first-round game. So <laughs> let's just try to make that history. Yeah. And I think they have a shot to do that. Well, uh, the history of UCF, this is the sixth appearance in the NCAA tournament. Their first was in 1996 um, they, uh, when they were a 16 seed and lost to Louisiana Tech. Um, this is uh, last time they made it in 2019. They were a 12 and lost to a five seed Arizona State, uh, 64 to 45 in Miami. This is a different situation now. They're playing a Northwestern team which uh, comes in as a seven seed. They finished fifth in the Big Ten, 15-8 and eight overall, 11-7 uh, in the conference. This is the 
number one team in the country in turnover margin. They're plus 9.61 per game. So that's number one in the country. Uh, mm-hmm. They they uh, they force teams, uh, or, or, or rather, they, they don't... Uh, the reason why they're, it's so good is they don't turn the ball over. They're sixth in the country in fewest turnovers per game at 11.3. Um, and their assist-to-turnover ratio is one4 uh, they also get a fair amount of steals. For you know, their their guards are pretty good. They're eighth in the country in steals at eleven point seven a game. So, uh, this is a this is a pretty good uh, good offensive team in uh, in Northwestern. They average uh, they average sixty eight points per game, uh, and uh, but they're from, from even though they lost uh, to Maryland, who was the number one seed in the uh, Big Ten tournament. Um, by 33 points, they're kind of coming in, I think, riding a little bit high here. So um, they present a unique challenge uh, for UCF, considering that UCF has the number one scoring defense in the country, one of the best field goal percentage defenses uh, in the country as well. So a team that forces uh, that forces you to make mistakes is playing against a team that uh, doesn't make mistakes, so it's the it, it's the unstoppable force reach, facing the immovable object here, isn't it, Murph? Yeah, but like Northwestern, like also doesn't like they they do both they they don't turn the ball over and they steal the ball away from you. So it's not like it's it, they, they do both they do both facets really well. Um, it's not like it's there's there's not a part of the like they're not they're not weak on one side or the other. Like they they take care of the ball and they and they steal it from you. So. For UCF, I think this game really does boil down to just like not making mistakes and uh, not making the kinds of mistakes that we saw against U- uh, U- USF in the finale. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but the way that this UCF defense is playing, uh, and, and you know, this is not a fantastic Northwestern offense. I think they're only averaging like 68 points a game. Yeah. Uh, this this is probably going to be a game uh, if if UCF has it to their pace. A game that's probably in the high fifties, mid fifties to high fifties, uh, and it's it's probably going to be close. And you know, in those last four minutes, uh, can you make the right plays? Can you make the right passes? Do you take the right shots? Do you panic? Do you? Get well, can tight? you protect the basketball? I mean, right, Northwestern forces twenty turnovers a game and gets twenty two points off of those points. That's, that's where what I mean, I mean right? I'm making the right plays. Like yeah, this, is, I, yeah. this is gonna be a, this is gonna be a close game late, and so can UCF just make the right plays late? Uh, and, and whoever basically, I know, I know it, like this is all like cliches, but like like in this type of game where it's gonna be low scoring and close, like down in the last three minutes, whoever makes the fewest errors is gonna win this game. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's go ahead and listen to Coach A. She was talking about how, uh, or she, she spoke in the uh, presser after the reveal um, on uh, how complex the emotions were um, as they were waiting for the team to, uh, and waiting and hoping to see their name come up on the board. And, you know, she was in a pretty tough spot as a coach trying to figure out, you know, trying to plan out what she would say based on whatever scenario happened. <laughs> It's just it's just very nerve wracking. It's been very nerve wracking, and and having to wait till what was it the third round that came up? Or is oh you know it's just like you don't know if you're gonna get in. You see all the predictions of we're on the last four in. Are we the last four out? Like how's this all gonna play out? And so you know what do you tell your team? What do we tell them today? Like you don't want them to be heartbroken. So it's just all those emotions just going into play as you're standing there watching. 
That's Coach A. Well, at least the, the good news is, obviously, they're in. Now, all right, now let me put you guys on the spot here. You ready? Uh, so far, UCF's closest loss out of their previous five um, trips to the NCAA tournament was in 2009 when they were 14 seed. They lost to North Carolina 85-80. to That was uh, Joy Williams' first uh, NCAA um appearance with uh with UCF when they won the uh when they won conference USA we've said this is going to be a close game do you think it will be closer than that one Eric I'll go with you first no I don't I think uh it's going to be about a seven and nine point game either way either way whoever wins it's seven point to nine point game there's usually I've studied this actually the women's game in the tournament, for whatever reason, don't play a lot of close games. They don't. And it's usually because one team turns it over too many times or one team just can't buy a bucket, and, they, and, so, and it kind of gets away from them. Uh, and I think, we, I think it'll be similar here. I think something's going to give here. Either UCF's going to turn you Northwestern over more than Northwestern's turned it over earlier and they run away with it, or uh, Northwest UCF struggles – Offensively, which they had, you know, kind of like the USF championship game where they just struggled in that second quarter, dug themselves a big hole. They made a run, but it was too late. So I think it's going to be one of those type of games where it's like a 59 49, 58 50 type of game, either way. I, it, you know, and I, I don't have an explanation why that is in the women's game, but very few games come down literally to the last shot. What do you think, Murph? I'll go, but I'll go. Yes, I'll go less than five, mostly because Vegas says yes, less than five. Vegas says three and a half. Whoa! Uh, All right. For number, you got a number on this? For uh, for Northwestern off of Bovada, uh, you can go Northwestern minus three and a half. The over under, would you like to guess it? Ooh. Over under. 105. 105. I'll go with 109. Jeffrey, 108.5. Hey! Five. It just goes to show that this is going to be a a rock fight. This is going to be a rock fight of a high degree, uh, you know, your <laughs> low fifties type of game, which is great for UCF. That's the kind of game they want. Yep. yep. Uh, and I do think I do think it'll be close. The only way I see this being like a seven to nine point game that Eric kind of prescribes is if uh, uh, you know a late game a late game turn or a, a late close game turns into a, a free throw shooting contest. And, you know, Northwestern hits, like, a bunch of free throws in the final minute to stretch the margin out. But I do think that with, like, a minute, 90 seconds to go, whatever, uh, this would be, like, a, I, I would imagine this is probably a one-possession game. Okay. They're right. going to need production out of Brittany Smith and Lish Lewis. Yeah. Uh, they, they both struggled in the conference tournament, especially in the championship game. You know Kaba is going to be ready. You know Diamond Battles is going to be ready. But this is not a team that could have one player carry them, like a KK could. They need Brittany Smith, Lish Lewis, Kaba, and Diamond. That has that's where your four those are your four scores. They can't have off nights or you're or you're gonna struggle against a team like Northwestern. Uh and, and we'll obviously have more on this later in the week. But I think that's a key factor. I agree with Murph. If you're UCF, you want this game in the fifties. If this gets into the sixties, seventies, I think it's in Northwestern's favor. Yeah. Uh I want to talk about the draw real quick because on the other oh. side. Uh, should UCF get through Northwestern, they would likely face 2-seed Louisville, who's playing 15-seed Marist. Uh, Louisville's really good. <laughs> they uh, are 23-3. and They were 14-2 and in the ACC. Only two of their three losses came to North Carolina State, um, by the way. Just letting everybody know about that since 
NC State is one of the one seeds in this tournament. But um, any possible shot that UCF could have against them? No. No? No. Murph? No. I mean, again, like, if they go, like, Villanova against Georgetown, <laughs> like, anything's possible. Take the air out of the ball, you know. Yeah. Can we can we ban the shot clock? Can we go four quarters <laughs> off? The oh, that, in that case, yeah, we can. Let's take, away the, let's take away the three-point line, too, while we're at it, like, in 85, because they're shooting let's take, let's take a command. Let's take a commanding 4 nothing lead and then just pass the I'm, ball around square. I'm, I'm going to make the case. I'm going to make the case here. You ready? What's the Throw thing we said? What's what's the th- <laughs> COVID? Oh, um, uh, what's the thing that we said about going into the uh, into the uh, conference tournament? Defense travels well. So if you if, if NC State for some reason just has a bad night, can't hit the broadside yeah, I mean, or Louisville. Yeah, I'm sorry. If Louisville for some reason can't hit the broadside of a barn, um, UCF's defense takes over. They force some turnovers. They kind of you know get a couple of runs. Somebody starts you know Lich Lewis starts making some shots. You never know. You just well, never know. It's like that you're making you're kind of making the point that we're trying to make of like yeah listen. If everything breaks perfectly, you see it. Yeah, including COVID. Let's not not wish that on an opposing team, please. I just, I just Uh, saw like Georgia Tech is going to be without their best big man because uh, he's out. I mean, you don't think that's going to make a difference? Well, of course it would make a difference, but let's not let's not be like, oh, we. No, but no, no seriousness though. That this is a factor in the men's and the women's tournament. We can say, I mean, that's a big factor. Who gets popped? Who doesn't? I mean, we can't pretend that it's everything going to go smoothly. Uh, that is unfortunately a factor. It's not. I'm not trying to be sarcastic. It is a factor. Like if certain play teams miss players, that's significant a, and will could alter this tournament. Either it's a factor way, for both teams. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right, right. Both sides. You're right. I mean, that's unfortunately that is a factor. As we go through each day, you keep checking to make sure. All right, did they check out? Did they check out? I mean, Oklahoma. In the men's side, they're going to be without their second leading score for their opening round game against Missouri. So it's going to play a factor throughout this tournament. I, I, I don't believe – maybe I'm wrong, and hopefully I am wrong, and this tournament goes smoothly and we don't have a team opt out, but it wouldn't shock me if at some point we see a team that's a little shorthanded maybe playing with only five, six players. Gosh. Yeah. By the way, it would be, it'd be – uh... Amazing to see UCF match up against the Louisville team that's averaging 79 points a game and shooting 47% from the field. They're really yeah. good, and they're big, and they're tall. I mean, they're a national title yeah. contender. That's a tall – look, and listen, this season is a – if they win against Northwestern, it's it's all free money yeah. at that point. Yeah, it's you're playing with house success. money. It's Because yeah, it, would be the, it would be the first time in school history that UCF yeah. women's basketball has won an NCAA um, – tournament game you know i thought that they had a shot last time around against arizona state but arizona state pulled away in that game they came so close against uh north carolina um 12 years ago um yeah. i remember watching that game it was i mean that was a bummer but this is a this is a very good defensive team and when you do and when you play good defense anything can happen so um but you're gonna the- have to score again the problem is 
Louisville can defend too. Yeah. And that's in women's basketball. When you play the the elite teams, they can defend. So you got to figure out a way to score. Louisville can defend as as, as well. Right. And they got they got everything. So well, let's so let's, let's focus on Northwestern. Yeah, yeah let's that's... worry about that one first, and then you know we'll worry about you know Louisville if we have to. But... We're we're gonna preview uh, that game in depth. Also, by the yeah. way, uh, later on this week we're gonna have a standalone uh, NCAA women's basketball preview show. Philip Rossman Reich yeah. is going to join us. Our our friend who covers the Orlando Magic, who also covers uh, Northwestern. It's a grad. Uh, will be and is a graduate of the distinguished Medill School of Journalism. Um, will be joining us to talk about uh, UCF uh, UCF's matchup with the uh, Northwestern Wildcats. And, and, and for you football fans out there, he will also will also maybe bring up Isaiah Bowser for the newest yeah, night. We can talk about Isaiah. Yeah. All right. Um, let, let's switch over to uh, the uh, men's team, which uh, saw their season uh, come to an end in the uh, American uh, tournament, losing to Memphis in the, uh, in the quarterfinals. Um, this was about what, where we expected UCF to go, but it, the, the way it happened was just kind of, was really heartbreaking, I thought, too, Murph, because you know, we were watching the game, we are all watching the game together, and uh, not together physically, but on Twitter. But um, Memphis comes out to that huge lead, and Lopez is like, here we go, you know? And all of a sudden... Back comes UCF. They got to within four at the half, um, the which was – and what was the – I think UCF actually no, – they didn't take the lead. Is that right in the second half? No, they, no, they, they, no, they did have the lead in the second half at a couple, at a couple points. But they, led, they, they led with about 520 remaining. Right. It seems like it was a month ago. 520 to go, and they were up 54-53. And uh, after a layup by Isaiah Adams, and then um, it just it just felt like the the wheels started to come off possession by possession. I think we saw the rest of the way like there was a there was a stretch of like it felt like I think it was about one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight possessions in a row after that that neither team got a basket on their possessions. Um, and then Memphis finally got some free throws. UCF started panicking a little bit, and then Memphis just kind of pulled away from there. But, you know, the fight in this team was really something. You know, they, they finished what, winning uh, seven of their last ten and, ha- and having a really good shot at this game. Did you come away from this game disappointed at the end result or sort of thinking, wow, okay, this is kind of a... They're def- they're definitely headed in the right direction heading into 2021-2022. So I wasn't disappointed. I mean, don't forget. So on this podcast last week, I said I would be surprised if they lost by fewer than 10 points. Uh, and they did that. And they not only did they did that, but they were leading going in, you know, close to the final segment of, of the game with five, yeah. you know, five and a half to go. So. I think they, they, they certainly exceeded my expectations. I, I didn't make any sort of like grand judgments about the future of the program based off this one game either um, because it was just one game. And, and I, I do think that for what it was, like they it was it's just a bad matchup. Like they, they just don't match up very well with Memphis and Memphis and their athleticism and their pressure. Um, and yet there they say, were in the final in the in the in the second half. Right, and and, and then they, you know they they go cold at the very end. They didn't, they, you know, Yusef does not make Yusef makes one basket in the final five twenty nine, and that one basket was a uh, a meaningless last second basket that that had no impact on the game. But 
you know, I was just pleased to see them really show the strides they made in the three games against Memphis, where the first one was really just an abomination that you just wanted to forget right away. The second one wasn't good either, but you could see that it was certainly better. And then this one where it looked like it was going to be a carbon copy of the first two. They were, you know, UCF had committed 10 turnovers in the first 11 minutes. They were three for 18 from the field. And they were down by 15. And then all of a sudden, uh, they started stringing together some possessions. They were they were finding ways to sort of get through the press. Uh, you know, also Memphis sort of backed off a little bit because they were getting tired. And Penny Hardaway had said at the half that the reason why UCF was able to come back is because they fatigued themselves by pressing for too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they they sort of had to pull back off of it. But that helped UCF. They got they got back into it. They made some shots. Really good hustle plays. That I, I thought by a lot of players. Uh, Dre Fuller makes that really uh, like amazing offensive rebound save, diving you know, sl- while sliding out of bounds, hopping over a player. Great play. Throwing, back to, throwing it back to, I believe, Brandon Mahan for a three. Uh, and then Darius Perry hits the three from about 25 feet out. That gave me a bunch of, like, uh, like was it uh, TJ Sorrentine from Syracuse against Vermont? Mm-hmm. He gave me uh, – or no – uh, yeah, it gave me a lot of like those sort of uh, no, for, yeah, like Vermont versus Syracuse. That yeah, can, like, he did go. it to Syracuse, not for Syracuse. Right, I was gonna say yeah, and Jeff, you should know. <laughs> yeah, I should uh, know. Like uh, that that Perry three from the top of the arc gave me like the Sorrentine vibes, which is why I wrote on Twitter. I said Perry from the parking lot because I just felt like that. Just that's what that shot looked like, uh, and that put UCF up by one, and then they would uh, they would get you know lose it and get it back. I didn't really make any again. I didn't really make any grand exclamations about this team and this future going out of this game. I was just really happy with the way they played in the second half, mostly late in the first half. I was happy with the way they fought. Uh, you know, I just I was I really was pleased with the result, considering how badly it started and how they really could have tanked it. Sort of a, a you know, a, a, it's sort of a this season in a nutshell where you know this team could have folded very easily after their COVID pause in the middle of the year, coming out and playing so poorly afterwards, understandably. Uh, and they didn't. They go out and, they, like you said, they win their seven in their last ten, seven in their last nine before this one. And it, it's sort of like this game where they, they get down early. They could have they packed it in, uh, you know, playing two games, you know, a second game on or a game on a second consecutive night. And they didn't. They really fought hard. They played well. And I'm sure they're disappointed um, because they thought they could, you know, certainly had a chance to win. I was just more pleased than anything that they sort of just persevered through it. Uh, the leading scorers from the game, Darius Perry, was uh, had 15 points. He only shot four 13, but he hit some real critical threes. He also added five they assists. Came, they, all came, like, they all came in like a two-minute stretch. Right. Uh, Isaiah Adams, 13 points, uh, four rebounds, six of 12 shooting. Uh, had four steals in the game as well to go with four assists. Um, Brandon Mahan off the bench in 33 minutes, 11 points, uh, two of six shooting, but six rebounds. Um, and then, uh, what, what else do we have? Oh, CJ Walker had, had nine points as well. Um, and boy, we saw some really good flashes of him rebounds to go as well. Um, the, so what are the big questions now as we head to the off season, you know, they finished 11 and 12, 8 and 10 in the American. I still feel like that record is deceptive considering what they went through. You know, it's too bad that they finished below 500. I mean, um, you know, because they the way they finished the season, I thought, was was really something. I, I made the quote on Twitter that I wasn't sure 
what was Johnny Dawkins' best coaching job? Was it 2018 when? Yeah, you know, that was his first year. It was by far his best job. Oh, yeah. well, well, I think it was his second year, actually, because uh, they won 20 games his first year, but uh, 2017, 2018, where that, where that team that won 19 games that had like that where Taka was out, BJ was out, um, Aubrey missed Aubrey the, missed the yeah, whole that was season. A good year too. His, like, I mean, his first two years were tremendous. Yeah, Let's the, not dismiss the first year where he took over a team that what won like 10 games the year before and got him to an NIT Final Four. I still can't believe he pulled that off. I mean, but, but like when you're talking about a team that had that that was missing your top three guys and you come within an eyelash of winning 20 games anyway, that's that's pretty remarkable. Or was it this one where, you know, you could see the talent at the start of the year. The COVID pause happened. You had injuries all over the place. Tony Johnson Jr. injures himself in this layup line in the first game. You're basically playing seven or eight guys, depending upon the night. Um, yeah. And they finished the way they did. Like you said, they could have they could have folded up the tent and gone home. But they didn't. So now what are the questions heading into the biggest questions that you think need to be answered this offseason? Well, we had to figure out who's coming back, right? Everyone gets a free year. And so what did, you know, does Darius Perry come back? Now, I, I actually, I actually, after the game against ECU the night before, I said, you know, Darius, you would, you were there on senior night. So, you know, we're, we're assuming that, that this is, you know, these are your last college games. And he kind of, you know, stopped me and, and said that he had made that decision. He doesn't know if he's coming back or not. Um, you know, so, well, We'll see. Uh, no one, you know, all, all lips are sealed right now. But it, obviously, we have to figure out what what the status is for Darius Perry, Brandon Mahan, uh, those kind of seniors. I'm going. I'm going to assume that Darius Perry moves on. So my biggest question is, well, then who's your point guard? Because if you if if he moves on, you have, I believe, t- probably two guys. I know D- Dre Fuller has played enough of the point through this year that you could probably put him there. But again, I don't want him there. Like, it seems less more- than ideal. It, it is. You know what? You know what it is, Jeff. Jeff, you know what it is. It's not what you it's not want. What you, it's not right. what you want. So, uh, you know, Tony Johnson, <laughs> Tony Johnson's obviously in house, but then you have Darius Johnson, the four-star recruit. Uh, four stars, uh, guys. What? Hold your breath. Uh, he's coming in this year as a freshman, or coming in next year as a freshman. Um, you know, a, a near top 100 prospect. He's a point guard. Uh, you know, do they trust him right away to lead this offense for a substantial period of time? Uh, can you know how quickly can he get up to speed? Obviously, that that depends probably on what the summer looks like. You know, or excuse me, what the uh, what yeah what the summer looks like. Do, do they have a regular you know conditioning you know in summer and like freshman orientation period that we didn't have last year? Um, but those are those. That's the main question for me because I think everyone else is probably coming back. You know now. We could we could have a mass exodus as you, you know that you you know you're witnessing right now at USF or Cincinnati, but barring that, you've got Isaiah Adams, who, I mean, it's just you can he's just a stud. He's an absolute stud. God, he's, he's struggled, good. He struggled the early out uh, the early portions of that game against Memphis, where it looked like he was tight. The moment was kind of getting to him. He made some ter- he, he was his shot was off. He made a couple of turnovers. And then, like he he got pulled out uh, midway through the first half, came back in after a few minutes, and just looked like a different player. Shook it off, and, and at times looked like the best player on the floor. So you've got him sort of you know sort of headlining it all. But Darren Green Jr. and Dre Fuller Jr. and Jamil Reynolds and C.J. Walker that's a that's a that's a pretty decent core of guys. None of whom 
would actually be in their senior year. I mean, they, you know, they'd all be in the, you know, I think Dre will be here now for four years, but he would still only be a junior. Uh, and so that they're all coming back. And then if you can get a point guard out of either Tony Johnson or Darius Johnson, it's a pretty nice team. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the bench later and see how that develops with guys like Sean Mobley or maybe, but, um, you know what? It's pretty good. It's a good, it's a good base. I, I think that core, that really young core right now with Isaiah Adams, Jameel Reynolds, and CJ Walker, at least of the guys we see right now, any, any other guy, you know, newcomers notwithstanding, that is just such a solid core to build around. And I'm so excited to see what CJ Walker does. You know, how, how is he going to develop, um, you know, especially in terms of his offensive game? You know, because we know how good he is defensively and rebounding. I think once he once he gets the you know he he gets that sort of, he harnesses that offensive talent is just going to be unstoppable. And I think you you hit it right on the head with Isaiah. And I, I'm really excited about Jamil. I, I he's I think he's sort of the unsung guy here because he played a lot of minutes late in the season. Um, I think he played himself into some really in, in, into shape and sort of into that into the additional minutes. Um, yeah. in that, in that respect, just, just as Avery Diggs did, by the way, but, um, but Jamil, you saw as the season went on, he got stronger. We saw flashes, real, some real flashes of brilliance, uh, from him, especially where he just, I, I love it when he just decides to play bully ball. He knows, he knows the matchups that he can win and that's, that's high basketball IQ. And he took advantage of that. So, you know, what is, does he add to his repertoire? How does he hit the weight room over the summer? Um, yeah. that's going to be, I'm really excited to see what he, what he's going to turn into. That's going to be a big thing. This, the net going into next year is how Jimmy, like the, like it seems like just looking at him, like, boy, if he had had a full introduction fresh to, you know, to the freshman year and having a full off season to get used to it and get in the weight room and get into the training program and really use that summer to get, you know, get ramped up for the schedule, ramped up for the season. Uh, he might've, he might've come on sooner, you know, than, than he did. And I'm interested to see how he uses this offseason and gets in the weight room. I, I think he could change his body to become a better player. I mean, you can see it. I mean, that 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 bulk certainly helps him, but he can do without some of that and still not lose anything and maybe gain some quickness and gain some skill. So yeah, I, I think that, that that is something you're right, Jeff. That's something to watch. So I I really hope he does um, get in the weight room hard this uh, this summer and maybe change his body. All right, so. That's where we stand with the men's basketball team right now. We'll be monitoring, obviously, any offseason moves that make that they make. Any uh, guys who decide to leave or come back will be all over that right on right here on blackandgoldbanner.com. Keep an eye on that uh, as UCF gets ready for the 2021-2022 uh, season. All right. Take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk softball and baseball. Hit the diamond. Um, both teams taking on UNF over this past week. Softball rolling, baseball back on track. What do we have coming up with both those teams? Stick around, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you on uh, recording this on late on a Wednesday night, where uh, the UCF softball team actually, Eric, what happened today? They split with UNF, they lost uh, seven to nine. I think it was in extra innings before uh, kneecapping the Ospreys nine to one, but uh. That loss earlier today snapped a five-game uh, win streak, including a sweep against FAU down in Boca. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm talking obviously tongue in cheek here. This team is really hot. They're they're 18 and four right now. 
Um, 11 and 2 at home, 7 and 2 away. They're winning everywhere. They're winning every which way you can possibly think of. They're hitting, they're feeling, they're pitching really well, obviously. And they're heading into a big road series at South Carolina, number 19, South Carolina. Four straight games this coming week against ranked opponents because they play Wednesday, the 24th, also at home against number 7, Florida. This is all before they start conference play. But. The formula is uh, is still working, and they, you know, after the win against Arizona, they took care of FIU seven to one. They didn't allow a single run in that three game FAU series, um, and uh, and they're they're popping right now. What is what is working, and what was the highlight from this past week? Well, you said it, pitching. I mean, they didn't give up a run against FAU for three games. That was impressive. Gianna Mancha was Has tremendous. Has that ever happened in a, in a three-game series for UCF, by the way, that they didn't never gave up that they didn't give up a run? Yeah, that's happened before. Uh, okay. You know, uh, we, we have a good history. Not of often. Uh, no, no, it's not an often thing. Not especially in today's game where there's more offense in the sport than there was, say, 10 years ago or uh, 15 years ago. But Gianna Mancha was the national pitcher of the week, um, which only Shelby Turnier has done, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and, and so she'd been on fire and Leah pitched a really good game as well. She broke the school record for most innings pitch. So they took care of FIU. The UNF splits kind of a fluky thing. That first game was all fluky. Uh, the umpiring was well, you could tell that the umpiring, you know, the lights in the end of the tunnel, boys, they were getting back to no, close to normal because the umpiring in softball stinks <laughs> once again. So uh, <laughs> Man. I, I'm optimistic. Uh, oh, we, all right. I've, check that one off the list, Murph. We've gotten a committee I'm, I'm on pretty, blast. We've got umpires on blast. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they got those umpires from like the parking lot like right, when they showed up. <laughs> hey, do you want to umpire? Oh, you have no experience? That's okay. Oh, we can just, it's fine. We're um, going to get canceled. Wow. Anyway, uh, so then UCF took care of business the second game. Uh, but look, you mentioned it. This is a big stretch now. You got South Carolina as a top 25 team uh, at South Carolina this weekend. Saturday doubleheader, single game Sunday. Then a, a when, next Wednesday, you're hosting Florida as a top five team. That's going to be huge. And then you start conference play with Houston. So this is this is a huge step here. From a building a resume standpoint, if you want to enter the conversation to host uh, and things like that, the, these next uh, four games in particular are very significant. The one concern that I would have right now with UCF is you know what you're getting from Aliyah and Gianna, but what are you getting behind them? Because can you depend on those two to carry you in a year where conference games, a conference series are going to be four games? And right now, Brianna Vasquez is struggling. And then they got a lot of youth behind that. That's really what cost them the first game. They went to Aaliyah. She didn't have it. You know, Brianna struggled. And so that's, to me, a learning, a looming question. And we're going to see what happens this weekend against South Carolina because they're going to see teams like South Carolina and Florida who can hit, and they have pitching. So I'm curious to see what happens with there. But, look, a lot of positives, 18-4. and four. You're in good shape, top 25. Your RPI, it's not out yet because it's too early. But from what I've been told from people that run the RPI, uh, it's they're they're probably going to be in the 15 to 20 range, depending on what. And then we'll see what happens this weekend. So uh, all good positives. And I think it was good to see them bounce back and just to annihilate UNF after the first game. So that's a good thing and a big opportunity against South Carolina for three. South Carolina is very good. They're going to be ready to go. They just got swept by Arkansas. But this is these are top 50 games, top 25 games that. You look back at the resume and say, this is why you either make the tournament. Not only that, but you also, maybe you host or maybe you're busting to Tallahassee. 
So these four games, the three at South Carolina, including two in a doubleheader, Saturday, and the single game Sunday, and then the Wednesday against Florida at home. What does UCF have to do, to, in your opinion, to, so that you would term this a good week? I think, I mean, two and two is a good week. Two three and two, one okay. is, two and two is fine. Three and one is good because uh, you're getting four and oh is bonkers. <laughs> shoot, shoot, yeah, that's all I would say. <laughs> Put it this way. They go four and oh. Murph, we'll be cussing up a storm on the podcast next week if we go four and oh, all right? And hey. so. <laughs> like, oh, no, four I know we record Wednesday night after Florida. Like, I don't know if we're gonna even going to be able to have you on. We'll have to pull you down from orbit. Right, right. That's a good point. <laughs> um, but no, look, I mean, it's a great opportunity to build on the Arizona win. You're trying to build a resume. And remember, this team hasn't been to this program, hasn't been to the tournament since 2016. Now, they were on their way to being there last year. And then obviously, the season got yeah, cut short. They, they but, would have been there last year. Uh, yeah. But, you know, this is an opportunity. This is why they come here. They're, they're going to play South Carolina. And, I think that, and I, and I don't think they'll admit it, but I think some of them maybe got caught looking ahead, and I think that's why they dropped. They got off to that slow start against UNF. So, uh, big opportunity. Uh, the Florida game obviously is always special. That they're going to be playing a home and home this year with Florida. No gimmies from this point on. So um, mm. we'll see what they're made of and the challenge. But I think they're looking forward to it, and uh, hopefully we get a third pitcher to step in. Brianna can get back on track. Something like would really be huge. That's the one thing. You know, last year they had all three of them like clicking. And right now it's two out of three. So, and again, in a four-game series that in conference, because we're going to start conference next week, that worries me a little bit. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens this weekend. Big opportunity, South Carolina. The good news is it'll be on SEC Network Plus. We don't have to deal with the $5 budget that apparently UNF has for their broadcast or whatever that nonsense was. Good anyway, Lord. Anybody enough. wants to complain UNF's about ESPN video Plus. crew is on blast now. Per courtesy what of was that? I had, I was nauseous. I felt like I was in a roller coaster. <laughs> like one minute I'm watching it from up, upper deck. Then I'm in the ground. Then I'm in the, out. Anyway, I can't find the ball. Like guys, let's make this simple. All right. Simplify this, please. Wait, wait, uh, wait, SEC. Wait. Oh, go ahead. Mer. I'm sorry. <laughs> we have break. We have breaking news that the uh, UNF video feed was run by Eric. The Women's Softball Selection Committee. In, in well, that, expl that would explain it. That would explain it. That would explain it. That would make more. Oh, uh, that makes a ton of sense. Gosh. There you go. Um, <laughs> SEC Network Plus, by the way, you get that with ESPN Plus, right? Yeah. I, would, I do at least. By the okay. way, a cute little thing here, little useless uh, data here that we – right here. Mm. So Aaliyah, when Aaliyah White, all right, will pitch against South Carolina, one of the hitters that she will face is also named. Aaliyah White. They spell it differently, but you will have two Aaliyah Whites on the same field. Okay. How about that? Huh? Uh -huh. Okay. I have I have jokes, but they're bad jokes. No. <laughs> no, nope, we're gonna avoid that. Um uh, the uh all right, so South Carolina by the way, by the way six hundred and ninety eight uh, wins for this program. So if they get two wins this week and they reach the milestone of seven hundred. So that could be uh, hopefully coming soon. What if they? So if they go two and two, like you know, pretty good possibility they could get win number seven hundred in history against Florida. They could as well. I would prefer so, South Carolina, but yes, of course. That's, Florida, obviously, I'll be calling that game with Francesca Anaya on ESPN Plus. Uh, so that will be pretty that would be Florida Gator story. legend Francesca Anaya. Is that correct? Three-time All-American. Yeah, pretty. Oh, uh, pretty good. You're gonna have to. Oh, oh boy, this is that's gonna be fun. UCF and Florida in the booth for UCF and Florida. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So, so yeah, 700 on the cusp. 
there. So. 2 p.m., 5 p.m. Saturday on uh, SEC Network Plus. That's UCF against number 19, South Carolina. The Saturday double dip. Sunday, 1 p.m. against South Carolina. And then top Wednesday. Top 25 showdown, baby. Yep. And then another top 25 showdown Wednesday, 6 p.m. against number 7, Florida. That game is at the UCF Softball Complex and will be televised on ESPN+. Plus. So be on the lookout for that. On the other diamond, baseball. Um, back sort of, kind of, into a little bit of a flow there. They're at 7-9 and nine right now. Uh, spent the weekend winning, uh, or spent the, yeah, spent the weekend winning three out of four against uh, UNF. The one they dropped was in Jacksonville in a 14-7 game, but wiped them out 10 nothing, 6-2 the first two games. Uh, and then 3-2 uh, on Sunday in a very close game, which ended up being quite costly, Brian Murphy, before they... Uh, took on FAU and beat them on Tuesday. But let's go back to finish off that North Florida series because um, it's great to win three out of four, but it ended up being a little bit of a Pyrrhic victory, no? Yes, and that it, they were sort of fortunate to, to pull out and get three out of four considering that this team had so many chances in the final game. Uh, or excuse me, no, that was, uh, yeah, well, really it was the, the um, wait, I think I lost, I lost track of my, I lost track of thought here. What series am I talking about? I was thinking UNF about the FAU. first. <laughs> okay, um, I'm so lost. Which, by the way, they which by the way they left a lot of men on base in the fourth game of that series too. By the way, which they which they did against FAU, but it was two straight games of just leaving everybody all over the bases. Yeah, I, first of all, like I'll tell you what happened to me just now. My mind like totally fritzed when Jeff used the word Pyrrhic, and I'm just like, wait, is what is he, is he actually doing that? Is he gonna go like next level, vocab? Uh, uh, so uh, that that really caught me off guard, but yes, it was, in that they end that series with a walk-off victory. It was actually UCF's first, it was at the, at the end of UCF's first extra inning game since 2019, and uh, Tom Jostin ropes a double down the right field line, Pablo Ruiz comes around from first, he slides in safely to score, and then everyone rushes out towards second base to uh, mob Jostin. And in, in doing so, Matt Archer, who is uh, UCF's normally starting third baseman and could play third base, uh, third base or, or second base, he, and you can see this on the video that they've posted after the game on UCF, uh, UCF Baseball's Twitter feed, but uh, you, you can see Matthew Archer try to hop over Jostin as he's on the ground. And when Archer comes down, he lands awkwardly on his right uh, leg and falls in a heap. And you can see him sort of looking down at his leg and kind of clutching it. And then, unfortunately, David Litchfield, relief pitcher David Litchfield, comes in and, you know, (laughs) he doesn't know any better. He's trying to pull Archer out of the fray by his bad leg, (laughs) which I can't imagine how much that hurts. Um, But we find out on on Tuesday – that Archer, during the postgame celebration, tore his right ACL. Oh. He, he, will, he will miss the rest of the season. Uh, uh, and it's it's a it's a big loss for UCF for a couple of reasons. One, he's a versatile infielder. Um, but really, a team – is a UCF team that does not make enough contact right now. Going Before the before this week with, with the, the UNF series, UCF's K rate was around 30%. It was – uh, just about first in the, about, just about leading the American. It was second in the American by like a percentage point, but they were striking out 30% of the time. And Matthew Archer is a guy who just doesn't strike out. He's, he's a total gnat at the plate. Uh, he makes a ton of contact. Yeah. He's really pesky. 
So he was hitting two eighty one at the time of the injury. I think I think well, I just think he's really pesky in the regard that he just does not. I mean, he's got a really short stroke, uh, and he just doesn't miss. Uh, you know, and he doesn't hit for a lot of power, but he at least puts the ball in play. That's what this team needs more of, and and you actually kind of saw that. Um, at, you know, you know, uh, on the Tuesday game against FAU, where UCF for one point in that game was one for eleven with runners in scoring position. And they had seven Ks in those 11 at-bats. Uh, this team needs to make more contact, and losing Archer uh, is detrimental to that cause. Yeah, and it, that's such a hard pill to swallow at that point. But they still came back from that, and even though they struggled with men on against uh, against FAU, I think uh, UCF left uh, as a team 11 men on base in that game. Finally... <laughs> someone broke through in the person of uh, Ben McCabe uh, in the eighth. You know, Josh Crouch uh, got that bases-loaded walk. I think the Knights had the bases loaded in two previous frames prior to that. Couldn't punch anything across. But uh, Crouch, who homered in the game uh, back in the third, a two-run shot, then walked in the go-ahead RBI to make it uh, in a tie ball game, 3-3, to make it 4-3. to And then Ben McCabe hits that grand slam, in the eighth to kind of put it out of reach. And everyone collectively uh, was like, oh, finally we break through with runners on because it was a, it was a rough week for uh, UCF with runner, with base runners on is, but is that the, do you think that that could have been the thing that snaps them out of it here and that we're going to start seeing guys kind of, kind of get through. And then what does that say about Ben McCabe that you, cause he's been such a good, uh, he's been such a great player for them this year and a real leader for them as well. Well, his power has just come on. I mean, so quickly. It's unexpectedly, I would say that he is. You know, I did not expect Ben McCabe to have six home runs in mid March. Uh, it's it's you know it's kind of nuts. I mean, he's he's top ten in the in 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 all of college baseball in RBIs. Yeah, right he's now. got twenty two uh, RBI in in sixteen games so far. Would not have expected that. But uh, what was funny about that U, that FAU game with and and that McCabe Grand Slam is that that game featured about. I would say seven balls that went to the track or to the wall and they would just die. It would just die as soon as they got to the dirt. And, uh, and, and so here's McCabe and he absolutely unleashes into one, hits it on a line and you can see Greg Lovelady in the third base coach's box. He's coaching <laughs> third base using his body, like bending back, uh, trying like, you know, just trying to like angle it. Keep over going, the wall, keep going. Like, oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. Kind of, kind of feel, kind of like a, a Carlton Fisk, you know, not waving his arms, but sort of just like get over there, baseball. Um, and uh, and it did, and obviously everybody was excited because this team has had huge problems all year with runners' position. Uh, I think again, it, it comes down to making contact, putting the ball in play. Um, and I don't think this is something that you know, clutch hitting is is kind of quirky and not really. Um, something that you can forecast going forward. Like I think they've really struggled. Yes, they've really struggled, but just because they've really struggled with, you know, getting hits in, in, in clutch times with men on base doesn't mean that this is now a trait of this team. This, you know, this is something that can really change on a whim uh, where guys, you know, can have really good streaks. Uh, teams can have really good streaks uh, of timely hitting and then really bad streaks of timely hitting. And this team has had a bad streak of timely hitting for a couple of weeks now. Um, but I don't expect that to all of a sudden be a, a year-long thing. That's usually not how these things sort of work. Um, I, I, you know, I do think the offense is good, um, it, but it's got, you know, it, you know, we talk about the archer, the archer loss. They're also without Jeffrey Pena right now as well. This is their catalyst to yeah. top the lineup. Guy, 
guy who has stolen 10 bases already, 10 of 11, uh, was a breakout star in the shortened season last year, and he's the leadoff hitter and a fantastic defensive center fielder. He's out with a uh, with a leg injury that he suffered during the F- the UNF series over the weekend. So those are two big pieces that you're down. Uh, they did get Nick Romano back, the first baseman, who hadn't played since the old Miss series in late February due to a hamstring strain. He came back, uh, but it, what's so weird is that for Nick Romano, who led this team in hitting last year, he's currently one for 20. One, um, just you know, just uh, very awkward. But once you get him going, you get Pena back, uh, and you've already got guys like Alex Freeland and Ben McCabe, Jordan Rathbone, and then and then Josh Crouch, who I guess we can talk about a little bit more. Uh, uh, this is a good lineup. This is a really nice lineup. Yeah, I, you mentioned Josh Crouch, and, and that's kind of my question: like, who right now are the most valuable players to you in terms of hitting, and then in terms of pitching? Crouch is having a great year. He's his OPS is up over a thousand. He's actually second on the team in that category, though, behind Jordan Rathbone, who's just having a a monster year of his own. He's got four home runs and twelve RBIs. But you know, I think yeah. Crouch has been doing it not just offensively but defensively as well. But I want to know what you think. Who's the MVP of the hitting of the of the hitters, and then who's the MVP of the pitching staff right now? I mean, maybe it's recency bias because I think Crouch has six hits in the last two games, but it seems like right now. Uh, and for the most of the part of the season, Josh Crouch has made the most hard contact. I, I would love to know the, the advanced metrics, metrics on that. Unfortunately, like, we can't get those in college baseball, or at least I can't, um, because I'm not uh, I'm not in the clubhouse. But uh, <laughs> it, it, it does seem, it, it, I mean, just from just from watching him, it does seem like Josh Crouch makes consistently the most hard contact. Uh, most often on this team, he's he he's tagged a few around, the other night I, that were that were. I mean, right there, you know. I mean, and yeah. and died like you were saying. And UCF had some balls. I mean, not only the balls to the wall, but like early in that game. And Greg Lovely talked about this after the game against FAU. Like, there was an inning in which Alex Freeland and Jordan Rathbone and back-to-back at bats hit the ball right on the button, right to the second baseman, right to the third baseman. Like, it's yeah. not, and so like it could have been. You know, it just sometimes those things happen. Um, but Crouch has been great. There's a guy I saw in, in fall of 2019. And just in fall ball, just really impressed with his power and strength. I thought in the fall ball then he was uh, really, really good. I thought he was the strongest guy on the team. And then 2020 comes around, he doesn't have a really good feel for the strike zone. I think he was, you know, getting used to the, just being in the program. Uh, and then this year he just looks comfortable. He's been outstanding behind the plate. I mean, he caught a full double header here a couple of weekends ago. And they've really needed that because without Romano for a few weeks – they put Ben McCabe at first base, so they really only had one true catcher while using Big McCabe at first. And Crouch has been, you know, been up to the uh, been up to task. So not only his power and his hard hit ability, but his ability to manage the staff and, and to frame well um, has been a, has been a godsend for this team too. Um, but uh, he's been great. And then obviously pitching, I think Colton Gordon's probably your answer. He's just a horse right now, um, a guy who does not blow away the radar gun. He's going to mess around in the low 90s. But, you know, he just it's so funny. He had a start on Friday night. Uh, I think it was against UNF on Friday night. Yep. And he he was throwing like 93 in fastball. And then the, the changeup, he was throwing a changeup at around 73. And the the Ospreys are way out in front of everything that he was throwing on, on those changeups. And we asked Greg Lovelady about that afterwards. And he said, yeah, it's a pitch that he hasn't really used much. Uh, he's starting to, you know, kind of, you know, mess with it and kind of get into, into his repertoire. And it was just amazing. He's saying that, like, 
oh yeah, the pitching he's kind of fooling around with this changeup. Like I'm watching this changeup. Like this changeup is like already like plus plus changeup. <laughs> yeah, it's like an Ephus uh, pitch almost. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it really it just the deception and the and the and the uh, the difference that he creates off of that changeup has been fantastic. Obviously, he's got a, a good slider as well. So I think Colton Gordon's been a stabilizer in that rotation, especially because Hunter Patterson has really struggled here as a Saturday starter, and now AJ Jones. Um, apparently isn't feeling well, didn't start on Sunday. Jackson Clare got the start there on Sunday instead, pitched well, um, but with without, you know, and I don't know about Jones' status for this weekend against Jacksonville. I've heard that he may not pitch this weekend either. So with Patterson struggling and, and Jones out, uh, you know, the, the Gordon starts are even that much more important. And he has been um, just, a, a, again, a total horse, a guy who can throw you 115 pitches. Uh, you know, he's, you know, he can give you, eight nine innings he can throw you a complete game uh and strike out 10 as he's done in back-to-back starts as well he's been outstanding yeah i don't know when was the last time we had a ucf pitcher strike out 10 guys in back-to-back starts but gordon's done it what i think is even more remarkable is his uh strikeout to walk ratio in his four starts this year he struck out 32 and walked five in fact the unf game he walked three that's that's a season (laughs) that was more walks than he had in his prior three starts combined so, uh, yes. I mean, the control has just been amazing for him. He's outstanding. Uh, and, again, you know, we, and we talked about the, the bullpen not really having an identity. And even after this week, I'm, I'm still not sure it has one. There have been some good performances, but I, I'm still worried about this bullpen as well. So there's a lot of questions with this pitching staff. And so you need a guy like, Col- like with Colton Gordon, a guy who comes in every Friday night and is able to give you – you know what he's going to give you. He's going to yeah. give you a quality start, you know, innings at least strike out a handful and keep you in the game and, and so uh he's 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 really irreplaceable right now well in the bullpen you know, just real quick it touch upon you know we saw a lot of ben vespi this week and he's he's actually second on the team in appearances he's made eight appearances so far uh good yeah. four runs three earned walk three struck out 15 pretty good ratio for him uh i think litchfield has kind of settled down a little bit uh finally after that rough start and Billy McKay has made uh, a lot of hay uh, so far this year. I think that ERA of his is kind of a little deceptive at 6.43, but you know, he's made nine appearances. And, uh, and I was looking at what, he, what he's done uh, most recently. He's only given up one earned run in his last seven appearances. Um, right. Struck out four and walked one. So... Um, it seems like he kind of settled down after he had that after he had that rough outing against FAU, which kind of which kind of skewed everything for him. But you know, right now, are we thinking it's what you know, McKay, Vespi, and Litchfield are your top three guys, and everyone just kind of slots in afterwards? I still think Hunsaker is part of the top three. I'm I like Ben Vespi; he's been good. I yeah, I've been impressed with him too. The problem with the problem right now with Ben Vespi is I think three only three of those eight appearances I think he's made what eight appearances yeah uh, I would say only three have come in like any sort of like decent leverage situations like most of his early season most of his early season work came in games where uh, the you know it was uh, it was a blowout one way or the other he was not really pitching with pressure now that sh- that has changed certainly the last couple of outings that he's had he's been put in, in situations where the game is sort of on the line and he's pitched well. So I'll give him credit for that. Certainly. But I, I'm not willing to to take those, those three outings and say that I, I'm, I'm certain that he is what he has shown in the past couple of weeks. Um, but no, he's definitely pitched well, but I think still Litchfield, Hunsaker, uh, McKay, 
uh, you know, or basically, I think, you know, around the top three. And then you could you could slot in guys like Vespi or Zach Bennett, uh, who pitched well also on Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and then we'll figure out with Jackson Sinclair what they want to do with him. I mean, with Jones being out right now, they've put Sinclair on the Sunday spot. He was really outstanding against, uh, UNF, against UNF on Sunday. Uh, career-high six innings. Uh, three hits, one run, or or was it one run or no runs? I forgot, but he was really, really good. Considering a guy who um, has really, really struggled with his control and his command this year, uh, he was really – It's a good, it was great to see that. But I feel like Sinclair's more valuable innings will come when you've got – you know, uh, Jones back, you've got Kenny Surawa as your fourth starter, and then you can sort of get two dominant innings out of Sinclair out of the bullpen, which is where I think his best innings are going to lie once we get into conference season. Again, I don't know that this bullpen still doesn't have, I think, a dominant reliever of any sort. I still think that guy is Jack Sinclair. Uh, right now, he's been great in the rotation, but, you know, when everyone's healthy and they can get Gordon Patterson figured out and then Jones and Surawa you can move Sinclair to the bullpen and make him a two-inning closer where I think that, that he could be really, really effective and raise that entire bullpen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you're right about Sinclair actually being, you know, better used out of the bullpen. I think we saw – I mean, that even goes back to – remember that – yeah, a couple of uh, key saves. I remember that one uh, – or, or was it at Auburn last year? That was a really key moment for him. And um, yeah. But it was good to see him kind of get off that schneid there because um, – you know, he, he had been really scuffling and, and you could tell that he was at point. And the other thing that, uh, that he, that they were doing against him, uh, that UNF was doing was, man, they were, they were making him throw a lot of pitches and he still managed to fight his way through that. So, all right. Um, they, they, uh, three games set against Jacksonville coming up Friday at Jacksonville, 7 PM, Saturday at Jacksonville, 2 PM, and then back home on Sunday before they take on Florida state and Tallahassee, on uh, Wednesday, just quick scouting reports on those two teams. What are we looking for from uh, uh, in that series against JU, and then the game against Florida State? Oh, against JU, you know, a team that got to a really, really rough start, uh, but was able to sneak a victory over Florida not too long ago. Uh, the offense has, has struggled mightily. I think they've been outscored by 30 runs this year. Uh, the pitching is okay, but they've lost one of their best guys, I believe, due to an injury. It's it's kind of been it's been a rough year for the for the Dolphins and then FSU I don't know uh, they've been well, I'm, I'm serious in the fact that like they should be they they started out like not that great and people were wondering like wait is this team like are they even going to make the NCAA yeah. tournament Yeah they're seven and six and right I, now by the way Yeah and so I haven't and so I haven't checked on them since the first couple weeks of the season but they were really struggling early um, so this is not your your typical uh, you know, from the olden days of, of Mike Martin, uh, well, FSU but they baseball. just they just smoked Florida though this in a midweek. Yeah, this, tended uh, to the other night. So yeah, I mean, so you know, UCF, I, yeah, so UCF will be facing two teams that beat Florida within the next. Uh, <laughs> days. Yeah, Florida State's got Miami this weekend coming up down at Mark Light too. So we're gonna get a real good gauge of what they what they're looking at right now. Um, I mean, they really got Florida State's issues. They got they got pounded by Pitt earlier in the year. They got swept yeah. in three straight, and that's kind well, of Well, I mean, their former pitching coach is the head coach there at Pitt, so he probably had some knowledge of the Seminoles. But I feel like we did we had this conversation two years ago. Remember, Florida State was a bubble team Yeah, two years ago, may, barely made the tournament, and then made that run to Omaha. Um, and I think this is, again, we talked about this last week. 
it's going to be a roller coaster of a season. Didn't East Carolina just lose to UNC Wilmington? Uh, I just saw that, I think. So you're just going to have some weird results uh, sure. throughout the season. And I, I think it's going to be an interesting champ. The question, the concern, Murph, is do you start, is this team digging themselves a hole kind of like the 18 and the 19 team where they had to make this big run at the end just to get in the mix for the tournament? I guess that would be the concern uh, from people. But, but you know, I think we're still a week or two away from that. Yeah, it's too early to tell. You're not, you're not, you know, you're you're not even in the conference season yet. I have no idea what the like what any sort of like tournament bubble would look like at this point. It's just way too early. Um, yeah, there have been some losses you don't want, uh, but I, I don't know. It, it depends on what the bubble looks like. And so, why are we even talking about a bubble in, in mid March <laughs> college baseball? Uh, I don't know what it looks like. Let's let let's, let's like let's get to the conference weekend in April. And then we can sort of assess, you know, what they do after like the first few conference, you know, after the first couple conference series, I think then we'll really know whether or not this team is for real. Uh, by the way, uh, ECU uh, did lose to UNC Wilmington. It was at Wilmington, but Wilmington's actually receiving votes in a couple of the polls. So they're not a bad team, really. I mean, they're, they're, they shouldn't be as good as ECU because the Pirates are number nine. But that, I don't think that loss is as surprising as people think. And, they, and that snapped like a six-game winning streak for ECU, right. who's 16-3. Like, they're fine. Yeah, they're, they're fine. I, I they're number I, they're number I, four in the Warren Nolan RPI East Carolina. I, yeah, I, I can't I can't wait for I mean just watching like Tulane and Houston. Obviously, you see we know about, but like man, these these, these are gonna be some fun series later on with like the type of offense that Houston brings. Uh, Tulane's pitching staff, like it's gonna be really really fun once we get into April. Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be it's it's gonna start getting wild here. But uh, by the way, that Liberty Liberty's eleven and five quietly. They're um, and they're and their RPI's in the forties. Like, are, you know, we might look back in that and say, you know, that wasn't such a, a terrible series. You know, I mean, obviously it's never gonna get swept, <laughs> but it's not like a train wreck that I think people it felt like at that moment. No, and again, I don't think, and I think FAU is a good team too. Like they're in the forties as well. I know it's early, but RPI wise, they're in the early forties RPI's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, FAU beat Florida. They swept, you know, they swept Seton Hall. Uh, you know, uh, you know, they lost to Miami, but uh, but you know, I think beating them is a good win. And so now you've basically split your four games against FAU. Well, that's a good a- point. That's a huge point to make there. That FAU is a split now. You pretty much, which is kind of like that's fine. You're fine. Splitting yeah. Them, so yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, we got lots more to talk about. What did UCF volleyball do? Uh, against Cincinnati and that sort of matchup of the uh, of the two contenders in the East Division of the American in volleyball's quirky schedule. Uh, and what do we have from uh, soccer and uh, tennis as well? Stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Follow us on Twitter, UCF underscore Banneret, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, and of course, BlackandGoldBanneret.com, where we'll be catching up on everything going on in this wild, wild spring. Um, I want to start with uh, UCF Volleyball Boys because, uh, man, did they take it to Cincinnati <laughs> this week. Now, remember, Cincinnati and UCF were kind of, UCF was the, Basically, the unanimous preseason pick to win the conference, but one vote went to Cincinnati. Of course, that was Todd Dajday's vote because you can't vote for yourself. But um, it, it, the East Division is basically between UCF and Cincinnati, and boy, did UCF just take it to them. What, swept them twice. 
Uh, Cincinnati was really competitive in only one set uh, in the second day, and uh, it was just workman workman like precision by UCF volleyball um, both days. McKenna Melville had uh, double figure kills uh, in both matches, thirteen kills in each. Um, I got I got to give a special shout out to Narissa Moravic and Catherine Westlich, who've just been fantastic this season. This is the best front line I think that UCF has ever had in the uh, in the uh, in the Dagenet era. And Narissa had eleven blocks, eleven blocks on the thirteenth, uh, which was the uh, Saturday match against Cincinnati. She's just playing out of her mind right now, one of the nation's leaders in blocks uh, and one of the conference leaders in hit percentage. So UCF right now, 12-1, and 6-0 in the American. And number 12 in the RPI, by the way, uh, where they are just barely behind number one, Fairfield, out of the MAC, M-A-A-C. So go figure that. But um, wow, is UCF Volleyball just hitting a, hitting a stride right now. Um, in conference... In conference play, or against American Athletic Conference opponents, I should say, they have lost. Uh, they've lost only three sets, and in, and in actual con- or, or against conference opponents in conference play, because remember they played Tulane in that preseason series, which was, um, which doesn't actually count as a conference match uh, against Temple, ECU, and Cincinnati combined. Uh, six matches, they've lost only one set. Only one set the whole season. Uh, they have the weekend off. They play their back home against South Florida Friday and Saturday before they go back to Cincinnati uh, on April 2nd for the uh, American Athletic Conference Tournament uh, semifinals. By the way, UCF against Cincinnati locked up the number one seed in the East. So they will play the West 2 seed, uh, which right now is Tulane. Um, but... That could change because it's it's pretty tight in the West behind well, Houston, who's number yeah, one. Behind, yeah, the two spot in the West is really what they're going to play for. I mean, I yeah. think Cincinnati, South Florida could still battle for the two. I think if you're the American, you're very happy right now because it's kind of clear cut. The two best yep. teams are UCF and Houston, and I think both that can get into the tournament. Houston, by the way, is hosting number six-ranked Baylor on Thursday night. That's a big match for them. Yeah, uh, that's a show me Hare. match right there, man. <laughs> well, their head coach here, he's going to win coach of the year again. That guy, he has turned around that program. They're a bottom program. He just got there like in 2019. And, you know, they beat Texas Tech this year. They've beaten Rice. Uh, you know, they're going to win the Western Division. If I'm the American, I'm rooting for Houston and UCF to just clear, just dominate everybody and yeah. play each other clear in the championship. The field. <laughs> right. That's all you need. Just what you because what you don't want is what's going to happen in soccer, which we'll get into, and that's a mess. Because in a year <laughs> where the tournament is shrunk, that's not going to help you. I think the American has a legitimate chance to get two teams in in a 48-team field with Houston probably going to Texas. Texas will probably be – this is assuming they stick to their format of host and they don't do a bubble. Actually, actually no, they are going to do a bubble. You know who's going to be hosting it? Oh, Lincoln, Nebraska. Are they really? Yeah. Everybody? Yeah. You couldn't find a better place than boring Lincoln? Like, what idiot would go to Lincoln, Nebraska? I mean, oh, really? Apparently the Who would want to move? Like, tournament. good Lord. I mean, that is just, oh, my God. Lincoln, Nebraska bubble. Well, that's 
Interesting. Yeah, Omaha well, Omaha officially is going to host the entire right. NCAA well, I mean, volleyball tournament. But there's well gonna be kind of around yeah, you know got- Omaha and Lincoln but a little bit, but it's gonna be it's gonna be in Nebraska, Omaha, Nebraska. So does that like you think Scott Frost shows up to uh, uh support Todd there? No? Yeah, why not? Yeah. Yeah. All right. I don't I, I don't I don't know if they were I don't know if they were tight when, when Scott was here. They really picked Lincoln, Nebraska as the bubble. Not not like I, I correct myself, it's Omaha. It's Omaha, Nebraska. All right, Omaha makes more sense. Yeah. Big year for Omaha World Series and yeah. the volleyball. And volleyball. Yeah. So. All right. Well, that's good. That's I did not know that. So that Omaha is good better. Uh, Omaha greater than Lincoln, apparently, according to Eric Lopez. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you get go to you get to go to uh, college baseball games there. I mean, yeah. hello. Anyway, but uh, yeah, I, I I think that they they're in good shape. I, I still don't know in a forty eight team field if if they're going to let a second American team in. I'm not saying that they won't. I'm saying they should. But I just don't know if they will with 48 teams. Well, I it's think be now that you lift. told me that, well, with the Omaha factor, that does take away geography to some extent. Although I would yeah. argue Houston actually uh, is more that favorable from a geography standpoint. Yeah, yeah. It, it, so, it, yeah. if it helps anybody, it helps Houston. But, um, you know. So that means we don't have to play in the O'Connell Center anymore. We could just play Florida <laughs> and Omaha for a change. All right. All right. Let's uh, go. Yeah. So, so Murph, you making a trip? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Will you guys? Oh, my gosh. I heard uh, there's some good stakes there. You know? <laughs> yes. Well, the, the state game is, 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 is top notch. It's, it's top notch. Yeah. Uh, let's see what I, oh, uh, let's, I want to talk about soccer real quick because we got some developing stories out here. Men's soccer. All right. Eric, we talked about it. They were two and three in the first half of the season. We're like, they got to get on, they got to get hit a good stride. And you were like, I don't know about this, about that game at SMU. But if they can somehow squeeze four out of five, they're going to be in pretty good shape. What do they do? They go two number nine SMU and knock them off two to nothing. Uh, now, SMU is having a little bit of struggle right now. They're, they've lost two in a row. They're playing a freshman goalkeeper, but they're still number nine in the country. Hottie Barry from Gino Vivi to get the scoring going for UCF. And then Yoni Sorokin scored on a penalty kick. Uh, to give UCF the win, but UCF looked as strong as they have looked all season in this game. Um, dominated possession. Shots were pretty close, 15 to 12, but UCF did outshoot um, SMU in the second half, 12 to 6. Um, and, uh, and, the goal, and the goalkeeping was great once again, because uh, remember, Yannick Edel um, came back and, uh, you know, from the, from, the absence that he was going for that period of time. And uh, he was spectacular in goal for UCF. Uh, so the Knights are now back in three and three. And if you look at the American standings, uh, it is a, like you said, a cluster. <laughs> it really is uh, a mess in men's soccer because here's UCF uh, in the, uh, it, 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 just behind USF for the lead or for a second, or, or but they're actually t- they're actually tied for third with SMU uh, because they do the points uh, system right. Uh, Tulsa actually leads everyone in points at thirteen points overall, but um, but all of a sudden, just like that, you're in striking distance. But in in, in this six team league, though, it's a mess, isn't it? It is a big mess, and the rippling effect is. Could that cost them 
as far as how many teams they get to the tournament. Remember, they yeah. shrunk the tournament. Uh, I'm actually trying to find out to make sure they're not doing a bubble. I didn't know about the volleyball. That's big news. How? I think you just broke news. Did you just do a Woj bomb there with that volleyball bubble? Oh, no, 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 no. That, that, was, that was broken back in February. I don't care. No, we're calling it a Jeff bomb right here on the bear right there. We're gonna because I didn't know about it. So we're gonna go. But, I, will, I, will, so, I will say though that that Nebraska is the host institution for volleyball. But anyway, so the men's field is thirty six, uh, which means only twelve at larges. And mm-hmm. the, the the concern I have is, and it's the same in the women. It's forty eight with seventeen at larges. If a conference is beating each other up like the American is doing. I don't know if they can get, you know, how many teams can get they get to the field. Uh, now, the advantages I think UCF and SMU might have is they have kind of some street cred from the success they've lasted the last couple of years. So I think they'll get benefit of the doubt if they could put themselves in that position as opposed to maybe other teams in the league. But, look, that's a huge defining win. Yannick Gurdle being back was tremendous. Uh, I think their offense looked good. They're starting to have some chemistry there. Um, now they just got to, you know, carry that over to this Saturday. They got it. You can't, this can't be a one-off. You've got to build a run here. And if they can do that, then, you know, you got to like your chances. Cause right. The tournament right now in that league, that championship is as wide open and you can make an argument for three to four teams that, I mean, all, whoever gets into the conference tournament, all four teams have a shot to win it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's, I, 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 it all, it's amazing how all it takes is just one win, and then all of a sudden you're right in the thick of it, um, and, and which is, you know, it, it, was, it was an impressive job. It was an impressive job by, um, by Coach Calabrese and his team. And I think that we, we spent all our time talking about, like, who's going to replace Cal and uh, Cal Jennings, who's now at the LA Galaxy. And it looks to me right now, Eric, just real quick, that, They've kind of found this, uh, this, this sort of two-headed monster with Hattie Berry and Gino Vivi, um, where you know if one's not working, the other's going to get the opportunities. Because Gino had some opportunities um, against SMU and really, I thought, really did a wonderful job defensively. Um, but Hattie was the guy who was uh, who was really causing havoc in the front end for us against SMU. Yeah. Right. He was a player of the week. Had could have scored two goals, honestly. Yeah. Uh, Gino's very good job passing, and they they're more spread. They got some younger guys too. They're stepping up. So, uh, you know, it's coming together. It's slow, but again, it's a sprint. It's kind of frustrating. You know, in a normal season, we'd be like, hey, they're starting to figure things out. But here, you're kind of in a sprint. But all of a sudden, they get them back in it. You know, they're going to host Temple this Saturday. Then the big one, two weeks at Tampa against South Florida. And then hosting SMU, we're gonna. That's gonna be right there. Yeah. March twenty seventh, April second. That's where your destiny is. That's a big uh, weekend for everybody. Because with the volleyball April, tournament going on, it's gonna be. April, oh yeah. So it's gonna be huge. And like I said, they're back in it. That's what the SMU win does is to get back in it and you know get some revenge there against your rivals and get some confidence that you can beat them. And, you know they've had their. You know, Calabrese has said it. They've had their number, if you will. And to get that win also could pay off down the road when SMU has to come here in Orlando. And who knows? They could play again in the conference tournament. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're going to keep an eye on that. The women uh, this week, uh, incidentally, they uh, played to a draw against uh, CU uh, at home on Sunday. A little bit of a disappointment uh, in terms of that because 
it was Matty Nags of uh, ECU who scored a who scored the equalizer in the 80th minute after UCF uh, got a goal by uh, Ellie Marino in the uh, toward the end of the first half. But they went two overtimes. It went to a draw, and uh, UCF does get the point out of it. But uh, right now the Knights are in third behind both Memphis and USF, who are tied for the lead at 3-0 and in conference. So they've got nine points each. UCF has seven. ECU having a pretty good season themselves, obviously, at five. But um, now for UCF, here comes the stretch, right? Because you're at South Florida uh, on Sunday, uh, and then your last two home games, SMU and uh, Houston, um, that loss to Memphis really kind of looms large at this point, uh, even though it was on the road. What? And, and look at that. I, I mean, and we thought this would be a bit of a a bit of a roadblock for them, Eric, because they had to play Memphis and South Florida at at their places, and now they have that second huge road match coming up on uh, on Sunday the twenty first against South Florida. This is going to be a a huge game for them, but um, but huge, this is, huge. I mean, this is a heavy lift. This is a really heavy lift. for Yeah, them. but they. I mean, they could turn their season around. They're two, two, and one. I had a lengthy conversation with Coach Sahadak. You can check that out on our YouTube page, Black and Gold Banneret, because it's a. She's frustrated because they dominated that East Carolina match. They outshot them twenty-three to eight. They controlled the corner. They had they controlled the match, but they couldn't put the ball in the back of the net. And they're struggling to put that, and she's frustrated with that. And I think they're close, but time's running out. And, you know, you're hoping that they can kind of do what the men did to SMU here, do it to their rivals in South Florida. If you can knock them off, that could change your season around with all of a sudden, you know, home matches with SMU and Houston to close strong and have Mm -hmm. some momentum into the conference tournament and try to get into the tournament that way. Uh, But it starts off with USF. So I I think they're, they're trying to find some answers themselves. They're so young. They have so many new faces. It might be a big ask to try to tell this team to be successful in a short sprint season, but that's that's what they've kind of been handed to. So this is a big match here. This is an opportunity here to turn it around, kind of like the men here against South Florida, Sunday night spotlight. Otherwise, they're probably going to have to win. They're obviously going to have to win the conference tournament to get a shot to make the tournament. So to make the tournament. So we'll see. That's their last big one because they got SMU who's kind of – who's. Yeah, and the RPI has come out for women's soccer because they wanted to join the fun with volleyball for some reason. Um, And I'm not even going to get into the numbers because they're very not good. (laughs) So they're not very good. So uh, They do not have reliable data. I I guess. I don't know. It's not good. That's all I know. It's not good. Not good. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And then they're in the same boat. Women's soccer is in the same boat. Can they get one or two teams in? Remains to be seen if they yeah. beat each other up. But again, it, it all starts with the South Florida match. Maybe that's the turning point for this team. All right. I want to check in on tennis here real quick. The uh, men's tennis team, <clears throat> over this uh, past weekend on Saturday, they swept uh, FAU in Boca um, rather easily. It's a FAU team that's receiving votes. And now they have this huge weekend right here, Eric Lopez. Friday, 5 p.m. at uh, at Tallahassee at Scott Spicer uh, against Florida State. And then Sunday at number 17, George. Remember, that was rescheduled from February 13th at the Dan McGill Tennis Complex. Um, and you'll be able to watch that one. But, man, is this a huge spot for them, uh, for men's tennis, with these two games against uh, an ACC and an SEC foe. And they're right at 7-2 and two right now. They're, uh, they're, they moved up again in the ITA. But 
this is this is the show me weekend for them too, isn't it? It really is. They've been rolling, and obviously a Florida State, a lot of rivalry there. We know how that ended a couple years ago in the mm-hmm. tournament, very controversially in Gainesville and all that. Uh, Georgia, obviously, that's rescheduled. So this is a big push here for John Roddick and company. You know, we'll know after this, are they a contender to possibly be a national seed, possibly host the NCAA? They're going to host a conference tournament. But can they host maybe a NCAA regional? Uh, who knows? But uh, we're going to learn a lot about this team in this stretch here with Florida State, Georgia, even Arkansas at home. Yeah. Listen, listen, people like me, don't waste your time buying tickets to the Miami Open, all right? Roger Federer and Rafael <laughs> Nadal have already pulled out. Watch some college tennis, okay? That's that's Best the tennis, tennis in the state of Florida is going to be at the USDA National Tennis Complex. That's what I'm saying. That's Not going to be I'm in saying. Key Biscayne. So. With all due respect, Murph, to your girl Pagula. You know, I know that you know, she's the exception. <laughs> uh, oh, Jesse. <laughs> uh, women's way, they got 15 days off. They don't play this weekend. They uh, they've got uh, they played their last game at uh, their last match against UNF. Beat them uh, six to one. Boy, it's UNF weekend for UCF sports this weekend, huh? Um, their next match is uh, Sunday the 28th at noon. That's SMU at home yeah. against SMU, Conference. and then they and then they do that Oklahoma trip uh, in the first Ooh. week in that first weekend in April. Where they do, uh, where they face uh, Oklahoma State and Oklahoma and uh, Stillwater and Norman, respectively, before coming back to the Sunshine State to finish things before the postseason. So, uh, keep an ear out for uh, UCF women's tennis. A couple things also that I want to catch up on here, real quick. Uh, rowing, by the way, uh, is back in action for the first time since February 27th. Uh, they are at home at the Intercollegiate Rowing Center on Lake Pickett. They're facing Stetson and Jacksonville in a in a tripartite meet on uh, Saturday, March the 20th. So uh, keep an eye on that. That's before they go uh, out to Charlottesville uh, for the UVA Invitational. And that's a big meet uh, up there that they have up at UVA. So um, so And that's next weekend. So a couple things. We're going to start finding out some things about rowing. Can they win six straight American Athletic Conference titles? Uh, we're going to find out. And then the outdoor season gets underway this, this uh, weekend for UCF track and field with the Black and Gold Invitational on Friday and Saturday at the UCF track and soccer complex as well. That's going to be a busy facility with soccer and track and field hit uh taking place i mean it's gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna be wild this is a it's it's their first of two home meets by the way because they have a the knights invitational on april 24th um but this is the traditional season kickoff for them uh at home in mid-march and uh and by the way i love the track meets at, at home it's those are fun events and uh if you do get the chance i don't i don't know what for spectators, but if if they get the chance to actually view things, come on down and watch it because it's uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It's it's just a cool time. Tra- college track meets are, are a good time, man. It's great stuff. Um, couple things we want to talk about, Murph. You've got some kudos to pass out for a young man who actually was a student at UCF who now is going into the NBA. How did we let this kid get off the campus? Let's talk about Jason Preston of Ohio. If there's well, if, might, if if we can't if we're not going to have any UCF teams in the men's tournament, at least we can root for this guy, right? Well, I feel like we should talk, you know, a little bit about the the men's NCAA tournament. If we're not going to make our picks, at least can we at least take one player for the tournament and adopt him as our own? 
And if there is that one player, it would be Jason Preston. For the Ohio Bobcats, who are in the 13 seed playing the four seeded Virginia Cavaliers, um, kind of a popular upset pick uh, in some brackets because Virginia's been dealing with some some quarantine. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. Yeah. Well, their star player is a guy named Jason Preston. Now, uh, he and his future might be in the NBA either this year or next. Uh, here's why that is so significant. At the age of 16, Jason, who went to high school at Boone, uh, was really not playing much at Boone. Actually, in his last year at Boone, he averaged one basket a game. Uh, and this was after his mother had died during his junior year of lung cancer. His father was not in his life. He was living with a family friend. He wanted to play the basketball, but he was six foot, 140 pounds. So in the summer of, I believe, 2017, he started summer classes as a college freshman at UCF. He intended to be a sports journalist. Thank you very much. He was actually doing some like some basketball writing, some freelance basketball writing. So that's what he wanted to do. Uh, and then on a whim, a friend said that they had an open spot for an AAU uh, on an AAU team. So he played a little bit there. Uh, he got some note, and and from that he got some notoriety from a prep school in Tennessee. But then when he got to Tennessee to go to this prep school, uh, the coach that 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 recruited him to this prep school in Tennessee got fired like two weeks after the he landed, he got on campus. So by the, the way, this coach, this thing is called the Believe Sports Academy in Athens, Tennessee. Right. So the new coach doesn't know who Jason is. He's kind of growing into his body a little bit, but. Uh, he barely plays again. So what he does is takes the clips of him playing in this prep in these prep games, and for a while he was playing on the second string prep team, like the B team. And but he takes these clips of him playing and uh, has a friend sort of set them to music and makes it makes a mixtape out of it and puts it on social media. And Ohio University sees this and I, offers him a scholarship. And now Jason Preston, who was six foot 140 a few years ago, is now six four, about what, 180? I forgot his, one, I forgot his one, actual six, he's listed. It's He's listed on Ohio's site as 6'4", 187 sophomore. Right. He's averaging 18 points with seven rebounds and seven assists a game. He's basically done that for two years in a row for the Bobcats. <laughs> he's projected to be possibly a second-round NBA draft pick maybe this year or maybe – Next, when he's a senior he's, next he's, year. He's got a 50-40-70 um, split. Yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> the kid can play. I mean, and, <laughs> and again, again, the thing that, uh, uh, you know, you know, and you wouldn't blame, you know, schools for not recruiting him. Again, his body was not developed at all. He had not played at high school. Uh, he just he didn't do anything. And so he wanted to just go to college and then on a whim, get the chance. And, and now here he is. So. If you want a rooting interest for the tournament, there is a UCF student, at least, in this tournament, and he's really good. <laughs> former uh, UCF journalism student, Jason Preston of the Ohio Bobcats. Former, yeah. former aspiring, and, and again, he only took he one could have been He could have been writing for us. Instead, he's playing for oh the— Oh, my God. I mean, well, I mean <laughs> I that's obviously— Things worked out well. Right? Yeah, you I think it worked out for you either play in the NBA or you write for the Banneret. It's really one or the other. I know. Um, he, only, he only took one semester. I think he took one summer semester of journalism classes at UCF. But, hey, that's good enough. That he got in fairness, I mean, I could see why he wouldn't. Yeah, I could, depending on who he had as a professor, I could see why he would bowl. Oh, I God. hear some sour grapes happening up in here. What is up with that? Wow. I, I think 
I think that's that is the, that is by far the, the the cheapest shot of the night. I'm, I, the ref is going to take a point away there, Eric. I'm sorry, so, that's very low. Yeah, but all right, Jason Preston of Ohio. He's who we're looking for. Yeah, he's averaging 16.8 points, 6.4 rebounds, 7.4 assists. He's shooting 51 percent from the field, 40.7 percent for three point range, so, and he's a pretty Mara, good foul shooter too. A, should we have put in a virtual credential to cover that angle? Should we, are we are we missing the boat here? Are we missing the boat? Is it too late? Did we miss no, the boat? I don't know. Possibly. The By the way, for those uh, for those uh, who are wanting to tune in, I believe they play Saturday night um, against Virginia. I have the schedule here. Lock it in, baby. They play, they Wait, play, yeah, we got it. We. I don't think it's late. I think you could uh, Murph. You got the you've got the connections. I think you could pull it off. You got to get that. Murph, you're gonna you're gonna go up to Indianapolis to follow Jason. I didn't say he has to go to Indianapolis. He could just you know there is virtual credentials. Like I'm doing virtual credentials for the women's tournament. I mean, I mean there's a UCF angle there. Um, I want to know. I want to know who's the professor he had because I that could have influenced his decision. I really do. Oh my god. Uh, Oh my god. I can't even. By the way, so Jason and the Ohio Bobcats will play Saturday night. The game will tip, scheduled to tip at 7.15 on True TV. Hey, hey <laughs> True TV making its annual appearance in your consciousness. <laughs> yes. Gosh, that's all. All right, Jason Preston. He's who we're going to look for here. Um, and uh, real quick, we're going to wrap up a little bit of football. All right? Oh, <laughs> a little bit of football. We're, we're finishing strong. We've got, well, spring practice underway, so that's, that's, that's a important. good thing. Uh, well... I mean, it's it's spring practice, you know. I have I have okay, so I have one anecdote from spring ball. All right, what do you Except got? I have, and I know like you see like like Jeff doesn't want anything to do with this. I, I totally get it, but we were out there on Monday. I saw seeing, your tweet by seeing, the way, which is great. I've seen two snaps, and we're going to win the national title. <laughs> again, I, I I feel like my the reaction to that tweet is sort of like been people like cheering me on. Seventy-two to, to negative six. Yeah, I want people to understand, like, I'm being fully sarcastic in every single sense because, like, spring ball doesn't really mean anything. It's just nice to see, like, guys in shells doing work and guys in pads doing work. But, like, you know, that's what I do every year. I do every year. I I say, like, you know, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, this this workout session that I saw. Um, But, like, I will say, so we were out there on Monday, the first spring practice uh, of the session – uh, and I, I, there's a few different things that are, that are different. One, there's no music. Uh, man, they used to be blaring uh, well, when Heidi was yep. here. Yeah, well, and, and Gus Gus explained that on Monday. The, they will have music, yes. but right now he doesn't want to have music because they're kind of you know implementing the system. So he wants everybody to listen and hear. So that's why there's no music for now. Once you know, because right as he goes into it, they're they're implementing this process. They want to know how the players how they digest it. And it's it's a learning curve right now, so that's why he's kind of being like he's really a teacher. He talks about how he's a, he relates to coaches. It's very fascinating. Uh, so there will be no music for now. And so yes, and so the only thing you really hear over the loudspeaker is Gus's voice going, "Session three, session three. Like all right, all right, we got it. Um, <laughs> but we're actually seeing more, like more, like as far as 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 much uh, like substance as you can get out of spring practice." We're actually seeing a little bit more in the 20 minutes we get to see than we ever did during Hypel because when Hypel was running spring practice, and this is no dig at any hint, this is no dig at him, but what we sure. got to see, like, usually what we got to see is guys doing stretches 
and like lunges and skips, maybe doing some sled drills, um, maybe, you know, some quarterback wide receiver one-on-one Jumping stuff. jacks, uh, various other calisthenics. Yeah, like 15 to <laughs> 20 minutes basically would be calisthenics, right? <clears throat> and so it was interesting to actually see, like, watching the defense run some actual live drills a little bit uh, where you could, you, you know, they would have like a pick six drill where, you know, they have the DB go back and then have everyone build the wall for him uh, as he ran all the way to the end zone. And then, you know, they would have a chase after the ball drill, uh, chase the guy along the sideline drill, like some actual work that was that we didn't get to see usually during spring practice. And my favorite part of that was while these defensive drills are going on uh, in the field nearest to us, usually the, the quarterbacks are on the field furthest from us. We're only allowed to be in a very small area. But uh, Travis Williams is in the back, and at the end of each drill, like a Roman emperor, he'll give a thumbs up or a thumbs down as to whether or not it was good enough and whether or not we need to do it again. And I love it. It's That's just it's so lovely. Like, we, like so there was a drill. I, I forgot what drill it was, but there was a drill. And everybody, looks, everybody turns around and looks, and he gives the thumbs down. And you can just go, like, oh, no, do it again. Do it again. <laughs> like, does it? Does he do the thing, like, what's his name in Gladiator, where he, like, feels like it's going up and then he goes down, you know? Yeah, no, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do, like, oh, the, uh, the triple-A fake-out. No. Um, yeah, no, no, he does not do the, the Joaquin Phoenix, uh, Thank thumbs you, down. Joaquin Phoenix, uh, I couldn't remember. Yes. Um, but, uh, no, it was fun. And then, you know, I, I look forward to sort of, you know, on Saturday they will hold, um, spring practice inside the stadium, inside the football stadium. That, that'll be fun. We'll be able to, we'll be able to go out and see that. And so, you know, I don't love going out to spring practice a ton because like, what can you really see? Not a whole lot. You're there to soak it in for a few minutes, maybe take a few pictures, um, but that's all about it. Like, you're not going to see anything substantial. Um, but it'll be nice to see it in the setting of the stadium on Saturday. And then, uh, Jeff, this all leads up to the to the big game. The big game. Spring game. The biggest spring April, game of all time. April 10th at noon. Uh, we, have a, uh, we have a time for that. April 10th. Saturday, April 10th at noon. No tailgating or any of that. But you can show up, watch a little football, see how the new team looks. I think it's pretty good. By the way. Got a little uh, sound from pra- from practice as well. We got uh, Gus. T- here's Gus Malzahn talking about what he wants to see over the spring. And we're going to wrap with Dylan Gabriel uh, talking about the difference uh, that he noticed between practice now under Coach Malzahn and the practices in the past. Let's listen. Yeah, you know, we're going to be fairly simple. Uh, we're just going to build the foundation. You know, for us as coaches, it's two things. We're building the foundation of what we are offensively, defensively, and special teams. And we're evaluating, uh, you know, where we're going to put the pieces of the puzzle, try to figure out what our strengths are, uh, try to figure out what our weaknesses are and, and build around our strengths. And really more than anything, I know offensively, is putting the putting the guys in the right position for what we want to see in the fall. So it's a combination of, of those two things. We're going to go very slow. We're going to lay the foundation. We're going to get good at things before we leave the spring. And that's really our goal. So we're going to go extremely slow. I think we've got six days of uh, install and we're going to come back and reinstall the six days. So, you know, we're not going any more than that. And, uh, and then it kind of fits in with evaluating our players. I mean, you know, that's going to be real critical to developing, you know, our plan offensively and defensively and special teams until we, you know, get a couple of recruiting cycles and you recruit specific to certain, you know, certain positions. Just how organized it is. And, you know, 
truly, I'm just focused on, you know, the present, you know, the, the past has happened, but, you know, we're here, the future of college football is here. And, and, um, you know, we're, we're really excited to go with it. Um, Coach Gus just basically told us how it's going to go from start to begin or uh, from beginning to end. And we were able to talk about it, you know, know exactly what reps we're going to do here and, and just walked us through it. So it was super organized and, um, it showed. All right, so this is Dylan Gabriel and Eric. You know, just listening to some of the things that that Dylan had to say, and, and I think we, you know, Anthony Montalvo was out there too on Monday. Yep. You know, it just seemed like they were they were they were choosing some some interesting words. We talk about the changes this year compared to last. Did you get the sense that they were maybe taking some a little digs at their former former coaching staff? I would say there's a little shade over there, a little shade. I mean, a little shade from the hot Florida, Florida. I mean, sun. the Gabriel <laughs> comment was a re, was answering John Alba's question about comparing the practices now to the past, and the fact he went they were more organized. People, like, people are like, "Whoa, wait, wait, did he just say that?" You know, <laughs> and that you know, Montalvo talked about from a defensive line standpoint. And by the way, you can catch this on our YouTube page at Black and Go Banneret. He talked about, look, the, the defense didn't perform like they, their abilities. Some of the guys weren't really into it. it. You know, he's not blaming all of it on the coaches, but some of it was. It was kind of like you know, it was a player's fault and the coaches. It, like, they weren't holding back. It was uh, it was Well, they were kind of holding back, but you could read between the lines here. Murph, it, it reminded me, and I told you this after I was done with it, it reminded me of baseball media day, Greg Lovelady's first year, where the, where the baseball players would pretty much tell you they were pretty pleased that Terry Rudy wasn't here. Like, <laughs> hey, how's it going? Well, it's going great because, so, you know, pretty much tell you because that guy ain't here anymore. And I kind of felt the same way. I think there's a renewed energy. I mean, Dylan Gabriel talked about he looks up to Gus. And that he's going to push him uh, to be a better quarterback, and he looks forward to that. I mean, it was very fascinating. These players talking about how they care about them as individuals. I mean, that how many times has that been said, Murph? How many more times do we have to keep hearing? Hey, you know, they really care about us as players, not just football players. Like, whoa, like quick. I, I mean, I mean, well, I mean, we've heard that from every coach who's ever coached any, any, you know, every team ever. You know, and so that that's the thing. But I, I do think the organization, you know, part is, is a little, you know, it perks your ears up a little bit. And, hey, look, maybe some of that is just due to the fact that, with, with the new, you know, with the new coach in here, you know, after the last couple of years where, like, Dylan knows the system, maybe practice had become a little bit more lax under Hypo because everyone knows what kind of offense they're running. But now you've, you're learning, you know, a new coach's terminology, a new system, so everything needs to be more organized. You know, so, you know, I'm kind of kind of putting a – The other thing Montalvo says, and it makes a ton of sense, everybody's, you know, they know there's no gift, there's no favoritism. There's no, like, uh, jobs are open here because it's a new coach. And so everybody's kind of into it. They're geared up, which I thought was an interesting comment. I'm paraphrasing what he said, but that's, you know, everybody's bought is bought in. If there's any questions about, oh, man, I don't know they're going to buy into the coach or this is not the guy they want to – no, 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 they bought in. They've bought in. They've bought into Travis Williams and his style too. Talk about the energy he's bringing on the defense. That he's funny and entertaining. So they're bought in. And and Gus even said he was really like the competitiveness of the players on the practice field. Um, so it's going to be different. And I think um, it's very unique. He's obviously been more accessible, which is kind of what you were le- kind of teasing there, Murph. Right? Is that kind of where you were leaning there? A little more accessible uh, compared to the previous times there a little bit, just a little bit. Um, slightly, 
I mean, not to like rub it in, but he's already done more TV interviews than like the last guy did in his entire run here. So <laughs> that's yeah. it's, it's pretty good. But you know, I hey, look, it's exciting. I I got to be honest. I'm always the I'm in, in a normal year. I would be with you guys scoffing and laughing about this mocking the spring stuff. But I do think it's exciting. I I do don't recall. It may be the frost one, right, Jeff? We talked about this that oh, yeah. first year with frost, where everybody was kind of in interested in that first run. Like we understand it's spring and all that, but there is this energy of excitement, if you will, this kind of curiosity. Probably we had that with frost in that first year, but I think it's very similar, and it feels bigger for whatever reason. Uh, just because I mean, Gus is a big name. You know, Scott was kind of unproven when he was here. Gus is a big name, and I think people have—he's done a great job so far in communicating with the fan and getting the fan base to buy in, using the media by talking to them and talking to them like human beings and not acting like they're trying to kill him. <laughs> More shame for me. This is the. Murph, this is an all-time Eric Lopez episode that we are witnessing right That's now. What you get on Saint this Patrick's is a, this is a career performance. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, in all seriousness, I appreciate how he's handled the media because I mean, I've seen Brian and and Brandon and all these guys. You know, they you know, they're not asking like you know the the most like, hey, why do you guys blow that game? They're asking fair questions, and you know, I think they deserve respect. And I think he's, they're getting that from the staff. And I think that's a good thing. I will say, Eric, I can't tell you how many times the fans have wanted me to ask that exact same question, though. <laughs> <laughs> like, why you blow this game? What happened out there? <laughs> Why'd you choke? Why'd you blow? No. Why do you guys not? Why do you guys suck? Fans. <laughs> but I, I like the fact that Gus is admitting, like, look. This is a process. It's going to take some time. We're not going to rush it. We want to make sure these guys learn the system and we're going to teach it to them. And they're not going to, you know, and I think there's, I think that's to your point, Murph. That's why it's more organized because, you know, he, he's going to make use of all these practices and he wants to make sure that these guys grasp the systems in both offensively and defensively. Yeah. And he knows that's going to take a, it's a process. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to, it's going to take a, and that's what's going to be really interesting. It might be a rather uneven spring game, but, who by knows? Way, I'm, I'm still. I'm interested way, don't to see it. Complain about the noon kick, for God's sake! It's I know. A spring game. All right, but but, but I mean, are they even really kicking off? Like, is that the term we're going to use? Like, but they're going to start the game at, at noon. So I'm looking forward to it. I, I think it's going to be a really interesting. It's the, the curiosity factor is back. I think that's what we can yeah. say. It's yeah. The curiosity factor is back. All right. Wrap up with some NFL free agency news, including some UCF guys. All right. Couple. Uh, Shaquille Griffin, he's coming back home, sort of. He's coming to the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's not going to Tampa Bay. But uh, Shaquille signs a um, big unrestricted free agency deal. Three years, $44 million, I think, and Murph, correct me on this, $29 million of it guaranteed? If yeah, I'm something mistaken. like that. Uh, and there uh, are... I, I think that's... Yeah. Yeah, so, so he's coming to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, Schefter first reported it. Uh, and uh, Shaquem is from and, and nothing's been announced, but he is likely from what I see to follow him to Jacksonville. Is that right? He's, he's, it seems to be like he's teasing it a little bit on Twitter. Uh, so maybe we're reading too too deep into the leaves there, but uh, but uh, I feel like I just mixed a metaphor. Um, but you did. Uh, you know, so we don't know. We don't know yet. Uh, he is a free agent officially now. 
We'll see, but I imagine that if there is a team that should be considered the favorite for Shaquem, it is certainly Jacksonville. Yeah. So, uh, so we'll, that's something that we'll have to keep a, a hey, close Murph. eye on there. You know, Murph. You know, does that mean you know you could make they have to pay a little visit to training camp over there? You know, you've got an open invite. I do have an open invite to see Nate Evans. So I'd be like, yo, you know, Nate, it's been great talking to you. So where are uh, the other guys? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Adrian Killen's got a two-year contract with the Philadelphia Eagles. They decided to bring him back into the fold. Um, mm-hmm. Got a little bit of work last year. wasn't that overly impressive, but at least you know he has shown enough to them that they're like, all right, let's 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 keep this going here for a little bit. See what we got. So that's good news for AK uh, coming back on a two-year contract. And speaking of two-year contracts, the Arizona Cardinals have brought in Matt Prater, 36 years old. Matt is still kicking. In the NFL, two-year contract with the Arizona Cardinals, where, um, by the way, do we know the elevation of Phoenix, Arizona? I mean, Google does. I don't, but, like, <laughs> well, I saying, like this... it, it, yeah, I mean, I, it, is it, wait, first of all, don't they play in Glendale and not Phoenix? Well, it's just outside yeah. of Phoenix. They all right, 1,000 feet Glendale. above sea level, so it's not mile-high kind of stuff. I, I thought I thought it was higher, but anyway. Um, the reason why but, I ask is if you, look, if you if you look at Matt's entire career, he's played in Denver, Detroit, and now Arizona. Like, I like he's played in some friendly kicking environments. He's not playing in East Rutherford. Yeah, it's true, <laughs> true. So I mean, he'll have a chance to continue his uh, his long run of uh, of kicking well, well in the NFL. And there's a big rippling effect with the reason he's departing is because Detroit is going with our boy Murph Matthew Matty Wright. Wright. That's right. Wow. Two UCF kickers. Now, I think Matt's going to compete for the job in Detroit. I think there's a few guys who are in there. Ah, He's winning that job. You don't just appear on the banneret and not win that job. I'm going to tell you that right now. (laughs) Banneret bump. Well, he's he's Uh our favorite. Yeah, the banneret bump is real. Um, uh, (laughs) And, uh, and, by the way, Prater unseating both Zane Gonzalez and Mike Nugent uh, from uh, 2019 and 2020. So... so anyway, it's good to see Matt back in the NFL again, and uh, and hopefully for two more years, and we'll see what happens after that. So, I think, um, I, think people got, I think people got really excited when the uh, when the um, John Brown got signed off of the Bills, uh, mm-hmm. only to see Daniel Sanders get signed onto the Bills. Yeah, uh, we were thinking I, this was we were thinking, oh boy, Gabe Davis is going to be a starter this year, and then Emmanuel Sanders just parachutes in. He's still going to be a starter, right? He's still going to be a starter because they're running three and four wides out there anyway. But I love that pickup for the Bills. I love the pickup for Gabe because Emmanuel Sanders got just a wealth of knowledge. He's still really good, even at his age. It's amazing. He tore his Achilles a couple years ago, and he still looks really spry. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, it would be nice if if Gabe could, you know, slot in as the number two. But, like, I don't know. He made a bunch of big plays last year, but I, I think I saw a lot of what I saw in college, and they probably saw – a guy who probably still needs to do a lot of work on his route running and, 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 you know, route tree stuff. Like he does a lot of deep routes really well, but it's like the finer things of, you know, just being, you know, a tactician at the position that probably he doesn't have down yet. But I mean, guys like, I mean, man, if you, if you want to talk to him about a good, a good route runner, I mean, now he's got Stefan Diggs and Emmanuel Sanders. These guys are the absolute best of the best. Uh, in the NFL, so Murph, sounds I, to me like Murph's picking the Bills. Josh the Allen, man, here, huh? I, I love me some Josh Allen. I don't wow. either. Wow, uh, hanging out with Jamie. We need to go back to the archives. And see. <laughs> you and Jamie are zooming like 
Buffalo Bills talk while we wait for coaches and players to talk? I mean, Murph what are we going is, on? Murph is like, going to become like, an I, honorary I, 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 Bills Mafia member. I will say, like, I feel like it, like if there was a non-Giants team that I could tie my wagon to, it'd be Buffalo. I wow! Really hey, the Giants I, got a big signing in John Ross, you know. Dude, I know this is way off track. This is not even UCF adjacent. <laughs> Now I'm on a tangent here. Aren't you glad we saved this to the final segment? Yes. If if Kenny Galladay signs the Giants, I'm I'm gonna I, I'm gonna lose my mind. I'm gonna love it. I, I, please, please sign Kenny Galladay. Please. What are you talking about? John Ross ain't the answer. <laughs> By the way, can we give a, a UCF shout out? Justin McRae signing Justin a two year right. deal with the Houston Texans. How about that? Getting two years, four million. Finally, the Texans do something right. <laughs> I know. It's like, I'm just, I'm just, man, Justin. Oh boy, Houston. Good luck. No, We're pulling for you, man. NFL job. He's got an NFL job. NFL I job. Know. I know. It's, it's Houston. It's, it's him and Jordan Aikens. Sorry, Jeremy Brenner, but like, ooh boy, it's, it's kind of, a, it's kind of a mess over there. But hopefully, he can be some, uh, he can be a stabilizing force. That's right, uh, with Tyrod, Tyrod Taylor, you know, leading him in the way. I mean, you know, so I don't know. That's what we're aiming for. Well, and Clayton Gethers says he wants to keep playing. Yes. So we'll see if yeah. he can latch, yep. see if he can latch it somewhere. And then, of course, uh, does Brashad Perriman do anything? Is he going to re-up for the Jets? They just signed Corey Davis, or did they go, did he go somewhere else? Maybe he goes um, to Jacks. Can't we just get him all to Jacksonville, you know? Look, I, I feel like it's, it's in, like, the Jags, like, franchise statement to have at least one UCF player on their roster at all times. We appreciate that as friends of the of the show. Uh, we we're going to take advantage of that, Murph. We got to take advantage of that. Now, you know, you've got an invite. Like you literally have an invite to training camp. I think you should probably yep. you might have to use that. Um, you know, depending. Then we got pro day for UCF April first. Yep, I know it's a couple weeks away. I, I mean, that's going to be really fun. It's going to be. I mean, actually, I'm, I'm I'm actually looking forward to that because I hope we get to talk to some of those guys. Yep, Richie April- Grant. That'd be. Please. April 1st. A Richie. lot of buzz with him and Anderson. And, uh, yeah, they're Ray, both getting Robinson. a lot of play in the pre-draft uh, scuttlebutt that's going on around here, which is good to see. I, I I hope people aren't upset if neither of them get picked in the first round. I think there's like, oh, please, you know, that one of them will be picked in the first round. Maybe they will. I, I, but I don't think either of them fall outside the top 50, which is still really good. Oh, yeah. yeah. Heck yeah. And, we knew that and really, what you're really rooting for is to them to end up in a good spot. And right. that's really – sometimes, you know, that's more important. Like, I would rather – I, I mean, the players obviously want to get paid. But if you drop 10 spots further back than you thought, but you end up in a better situation, I mean, you're more than – you're good to go. What I yeah. think helps all those guys is – especially Aaron. Uh, you know, and Richie's a great – Richie's a fantastic safety. But Aaron has a lot of ability playing out wide and slot – uh, a little bit more versatility than Richie, where Richie's more, I think, naturally a ball hawk. But but that that, that versatility kind of suits that helps you no matter where you land. I mean, I, I think no matter where Aaron Robinson lands, like he's gonna fit because he can he can lock guys down. He can lock guys on on you know any space on the field. So is that why he's that. kind of maybe the more likely one to go first, drafted somewhere, wherever wherever they get drafted, he's probably the first pick probably because of that. I think he's got better cover skills. I, I, absolutely, he's got much better cover skills. Uh, you know, Richie is really good in run in run stop. Uh, actually, one of the best in run stop as, as a safety and really good ball hawking. But you know, I think they want a guy who will latch onto someone's hip 
and, and just not let go. Uh, you know, well, not let go, not physically. You don't want to hold him. Uh, um, but that's Aaron. If you're looking, if you're looking at that guy, that guy out of the two, the better guy is Aaron Robinson. He's a he's he's a better he's a better typical shutdown, you know, corner safety DB. Whereas Richie is going to freelance a little bit. He'll help you out in the run game, but he's really there to make big plays. He's really meant to make big plays in the back end, change games with picks, um, force fumbles, stuff like that. Aaron Robinson is going to try to lock down guys. Why does it? Why do, when I think of Richie Grant, does do the Baltimore Ravens for some reason? Just I, I that name just appear. Like does he, so like, does he not he gets, feel like a Baltimore Raven defender? <laughs> if he gets drafted by the Ravens, are we gonna get like Ed Reed? Like you go know, like Ed Reed on me? Don't 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 do that. Not oh yet. boy. Yeah, so. All right. All right. Speaking of uh, speaking of people who have to find homes, that's what we've done with this podcast. We've gotten that. So uh, that was some good football. That was, I'm not going to lie. That was we, we finished football. strong with some good oh. football talk. That's good. Draft is coming up around you know late April, so we'll be diving I, in on that real soon. Uh, make sure I you follow. I, I appreciate the listeners uh, staying tuned through 90 minutes to get to the dessert of the last 15 <laughs> minutes of this podcast. That's right. We give you the good dessert. We give you the meat and potatoes and the dessert. Uh, UCF underscore banner at is where you can follow us on Twitter. That's where we have all the latest news coming from the world of UCF sports. You can follow us each individually there as well. Uh, Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez Elo, and Spokes underscore Murphy. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. And of course, don't forget blackandgoldbanneret.com. The mothership, the home of UCF Sports on the SB Nation Network. Subscribe to our newsletter. Uh, the the uh, weekday newsletter put together every weekday by our very own Jeremy Brenner, uh, providing all the latest uh, news from in and around the world of UCF sports, not not just uh, stuff we write about, but from all over the place. Uh, and also, make sure you subscribe to our podcast via uh, however you get your podcast, be it on iOS or Android. If you already po- subscribe to our podcast, thank you so much. You leave a rating. Uh, and a, and uh, and a uh, and a review for us on whichever platform you listen to your podcast, and also don't forget to tell a friend to subscribe to us here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. So, for all of us at Black and Gold Banneret, including Brian Murphy and Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for joining us. Stick around later this week; we'll have our women's basketball NCAA preview show. Until then, go Knights and charge on! Thanks for listening.